Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey guys, new podcast and a big announcement. Uh, I am very proud to bring to you a new shirt at BurtBurtBurt.com. That's right. I've been working on this shirt oh ever since I started telling this story, and it has finally arrived. It is something I'm happy with. I think you're going to absolutely love. Leanne, do you want to do the announcement? It's pretty awesome. I don't know. I think you should. You deserve it. It is regarding my bear fighting marshmallow story. The time I fought a bear... And our safe word was marshmallow. And I don't want to tell you what to look for. Go to BurtBurtBurt.com and check out the new shirt. It's hidden. Leanne couldn't figure it out. And I was that made me even more excited. So shoot me like a line on Twitter or on Facebook. Or you can email me at Bert at BurtBurtBurt.com and tell me what you think. But uh, it's pretty cool. It's like the Da Vinci Code, kind of. It's really awesome. Buy a shirt. It's a badass shirt in yeah. two colors. I'll be bringing them on the road with me, but get one now at com. It just went live today. Yep. They ship out like Friday, so it's a couple days before they ship. Another announcement that I probably shouldn't share with me because we should do a call to action and there should be a meme about it, but I'll just say it right now mm-hmm. and plant the seed. I am shooting an hour special April 1st in Irvine for Showtime. Uh, so if you want to come to that show, get your tickets now. Uh, I think they went on sale the other day, but we haven't done like a call to action where I'll announce it on Twitter, but that's just a little secret. That's a secret between me and you. Now, you know, uh, tour dates. I'm in Sioux city tomorrow. If you're going to be there, I'll be in Sioux city in Omaha that weekend, Vancouver on Monday, Bellevue, Washington, the weekend following that. Uh, and then call and sick to work show March 17th, followed by the long road distillery. In Grand Rapids. And that's and to, all, and that, just go to BurtBurtBurt.com. You can find all my tour dates. And you can get the new Bear Marshmallow shirt. Go get that shirt. Go get that shirt. And if you get it, once again, tweet me about it. Make sure I follow you. If I, don't fo- if I already follow you, I'm gonna, I'll direct message or, or retweet you or quote tweet you or at message you. It's a great shirt. It's a fantastic shirt. I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this shirt. And it took me a long time to get this shirt to, to a place where I was this happy. You did a nice job. Thank you very much. Oh, and I got to say thank you to Katie Carpenter, who designed the shirt. She worked with me in uh, San Antonio for Bert the Conqueror, and I saw her doodle something on a card that she gave me, and I said, you're a really great artist. Could you draw something if uh, if I gave you the idea? And she was like, I could, and she did, and this is a badass fucking shirt. I think you guys are going to love it. Go get it. BertBertBert.com. Anybody, what else? Anybody else you need to thank for the shirt? I mean, anybody else? Leanne, anybody my else? wife, okay, thank for you. getting thank all you. the color patterns yeah. and the swatches and the and placing the order and, and placing the order yeah. and picking up the order. You mean actually facilitating your dream idea? Actually, facilitate. You're a, a dream weaver. <laughs> thank you, Leanne. You're welcome. Uh, what else, Leanne? What else? Well, I would like to say that this episode today is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com, especially if you have a t-shirt you want to sell. You could probably sell it through squarespace.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you sign up or when you sign up at squarespace.com, enter the offer code BERTCAST at checkout and you'll get 10% off. 
Squarespace, build it beautiful. Awesome. Thank you, Squarespace. And thank you, Leanne, for the shirt. Thank you, Katie, for the shirt. Go to BurtBurtBurt.com. Check my tour dates. Today's guest, uh, you already know who it is. That's why you're here. Uh, He is a major podcaster himself. He is a stand-up comedian. He had a a late-night talk show on TBS uh, that was right before or after Conan. I forget, but I watched a lot of them. And it was a fantastic show. He also has a new TV show coming out on HBO called Crashin'. This is a monster of an interview. I got to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know what I think it's his personality, but we went back and forth, uh, sometimes confrontational, but never nasty or mean because we both love each other. And the podcast was so good that he said, I, do you mind if I release that on my podcast as well? So it's a swap cast. So you can find it on his podcast. You made it weird, but I love this guy. He is fantastic. He is interesting. He is deep as shit and he talks and makes me listen. So you will love this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Pete Holmes. This is It was uh, grab, that mi- grab that mic. Sure. Uh, it was DIY Network. DIY Network. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did Man Caves, the TV show. Oh, they did Caves. yours. Yeah, yeah. That's I, really I, funny. I, that I didn't know there was actually a story to it. Oh yeah. Oh oh. It's I a little bit too this. nice for a man, like a, a single man. I know you're not single, but like for right. one lonely man. I know it's you're not lonely, nice. but well, one lone man. <laughs> no, what, what, what you meant to say was you walked through my house and you're like, wait, these don't match. <laughs> this no. looks expensive Isn't and it? the house looks like shit. <laughs> so we just got, we got a dog. We have a dog now for a year and we were just walking him today. And I was like uh, saying to Valerie, my girlfriend, I was like, it, the dog has helped me learn a little bit how to like appreciate chaos. You know what I'm saying? It's like a chaos starter course. And your house is this. I, I mean this sincerely. I, I, don't th- I, would, I don't think anything. Negative. I don't talk out of the side of my mouth. You <laughs> son of a bitch. I mean this. It's like a. It's like a, a temple or like a monument to loving chaos. Like there's a it's... good amount of mess. If your house, you know what I mean. It we're, we're immaculate. Fuck those houses. Yeah. Fuck those people. We did a monologue on my talk show. Sorry to bring it up. Like I'm bragging, but we do this thing about bathrooms where it was like, I like a bathroom where the plunger is in, in sight and extra toilet paper is is obviously under the sink, if yeah. not an extra roll on the top. That's our bathroom. Magazine. I was just in your bathroom. Magazines. Here's the Q-tips if you want to give it a once over. <laughs> You're always forgetting to get in there and tickle the G-spot that's in your ear. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's like life is so messy and so gorgeous. Yeah. And I like a nice hotel. I like a modern aesthetic. Yeah. I like a white marble, you know, where the where the sink looks like a waterfall. It's like spilling out of some beautiful porcelain sculpture. That's all fine and that has its place. But with the dog, we're getting a little bit of an appreciation for there's always shredded toys everywhere. It's and you have your you're you're playing with your daughter and it's just gorgeous. That's what life looks like. That is what life looks like. It's so funny you say that because I think my wife's had a harder time assimilating to that than me. Is that right? Yeah, she was an only child and I grew uh, up with sisters. So I a second I remember. The house, I was like I was like fucking. I, I'm I'm the guy that my suitcase is usually. Like in the backyard, open up on the, on the table because I'm leaving the next day. Yeah, and I was like, "Why unpack 
But my wife's like, unpack in case people come over. Yeah, like I get that. And, you know, uh, that's not necessarily just a, a lady thing, but I will throw in that Valerie will sometimes be like, let's clean up because I'm having – like this recently happened where I had somebody come over and we were working, uh, but I was hi- you know, hiring them to help me. Yeah. And uh, she was like, we got to clean up. And I literally was like, these are my employees. <laughs> like we don't have Someone to – Someone seeing a lot. We can't like – if we start this process, it's going to be fucking yeah. exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just let them see – like, I, this isn't a very hippie house, so I don't mean hippie in the traditional sense, but there's something about those old Chianti bottles with the wax from the candle melting yeah. down it, and like, ooh, a bathtub with a lot of candles. Like, this isn't, that's not necessarily my thing. I would take a candlelit bath, but I'm just saying <laughs> something, evidence that if, 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 a, if a time traveler were to come to your house to investigate this period, they would know so much more from your house than they would say someone who's hiding. Take the bathroom. Yeah. We don't shit. There's no shitting here. That's we don't have children. We don't have dogs. And we don't have a traveling comedian husband. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you do. No, I know exactly what you mean. Of course I do. I think the whole time I was obsessed with the fact that you must be in a hardcore stand-up mode because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a... I, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think of You're a good boy. your brain when you're making television versus doing straight stand-up. Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. That's very interesting. You know, I look at – to kind of answer another area of that question before I get to that. <laughs> Hi, puppy. Priscilla. Leave it's, him alone. It's okay. I just want everyone to know if I seem distracted because there's a gorgeous, shiny brown dog. <laughs> I, I, I look at stand-up – a little bit like the Ring of Power. I'm not a super nerd, but I do like Lord of the Rings. So I hope I'm not alienating you or or, or no, anybody listening. I know listening. much more about you right now than you knew about me when we did your podcast. Okay. Yeah. So we're good. Yeah. <laughs> but you've seen Lord of the Rings. Of course. So even if you're, you haven't seen it since they were in the theaters, mm-hmm. it's this idea that the Ring of Power, it's, it's such an obvious thing. And I don't even want to get too deep. I'm just saying stand-up and uh, even when I was doing the talk show, performing and getting out there and getting this incredible, adrenalizing mass boatloads of affirmation and cheers and hoots and hollers. And- affirmation matched with uneasiness. For sure. Because the whole time you're sitting there wondering, how is this going? Because you don't know. Uh, you're like, it's true. good in the room. But even that, yeah. so, okay, you just, you highlighted something very important. It's, it's, it's uh, adrenalized for two reasons. One, it feels good to get it. And two, you really are kind of putting your balls on the table. You're 100%. sticking your neck out there. I remember when I was married, my wife was trying to comfort me because I had a show that I was very scared about. And I just got a real good glimpse at the scared part of a person doing stand-up. And I said, you're not the one out there. Like, I, I have to be out there alone, basically. Yeah. It was like such a pure moment. But then come a little success, come getting a little bit better at stand-up. You start going out and you start crushing. Let's just say you're just doing your act and you're road strong. And for me to get road strong, I need about three shows, really two, three-hour sets. And I start feeling like I'm wearing – I feel powerful. We can even drop the metaphor. But to go back to the metaphor, I think there's something interesting about this life and the balance – of trying to live not like a sociopath and not become a golem. You, so the guy who is obsessed with the ring becomes a weird golem. I know golems. You know golems. I do. We see them at the clubs. I love golems. They're I know a guy fun. that looks like golem and is golem. <laughs> Look, leave Todd Berry out of this. <laughs> I was thinking Tim Norton. <laughs> 
Oh, I love both of those guys. They made a joke about Todd Berry looking like Gollum in some movie, so I feel like that's. I love both of those guys, so so I I don't feel like any. I don't feel any. Yeah, keep going. You're in our hearts. That's just a joke. Uh, But you know, and I don't think those guys are necessarily Gollum's. So we'll, we'll we'll dump that for their for their sake. But we know the idea, and they certainly like you and I know. The draw. What if we let stand up suck our dick all the time? Yeah. What if we just got everything we needed? Like in Mad Men, Roger Sterling says, When this job is good, it meets every need. And he's talking about every. And similarly, stand up, when it's good, can start creating. It's like a Snickers bar, but you eat it like they put a, a chemical in Doritos that actually makes your brain think you're eating protein, which is really fucking crazy. Isn't really? that weird? Yeah, isn't that wild? Wow. I love that. So similarly... Now I want Doritos. Ah, it's a good treat. Similarly, uh, doing stand-up, you can start to think, what if I just ate candy all the time? What if I... J-? And because there is some sustenance there, there is some truth-telling, there is some soul-searching. So you start thinking, okay, this is great. So what does that look like? I know I'm talking a lot, but I had coffee. No, 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 no. I was about to... I can, I can surmise what you're about to say in a... Uh, I get categorized as a bro comic all the time. Yeah. A bro comic saying is... It's like being a stripper. Okay. It's like you feel like it's really fun. It's a lot of time. You get make good money. But for the most part, what am I doing other than just having a good time? I'm on the road. I'm making good money. I'm doing my act. That's like, interesting. It's, and that's, that's the metaphor I've always associated with it is like it's great. However, I believe that there's a, there's a pleasure. And, and uh, Rogan and I were talking about this the other night. There's a pleasure you get when your brain is firing hot. When you know how to write, you know how to talk, you can take a meeting, you can sit in a room. That's right. But I, yeah. That's what I'm talking about, road strong. So when we really start mainlining the the crack of stand-up, and I mean that, not crack kills you. I'm talking about like just like a pretty clean, organic, naturally occurring... Exactly. I don't have children, but if Val and I do have kids, I always want to tell them, like, if you want something, just ask daddy after a good set because you start to feel. But here's the other side, and I want to hear what you have to say about this, is when you uh, – I, I love my girlfriend more than anything. I love spending time with her more than anything. Like, yeah. I'm a real Netflix and chill – that means fucking, right? But I like watching movies. I like actually watching Netflix and yeah. chilling. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I, there, there should be a word. There should be a word. In the dictionary, for the moment when you and your 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 chick or your dude or whatever you love, when you discover something new. For me, my wife, like like in Game of Thrones, when they behead John Stark, and you look at your wife and you're like, oh, "What the? F- oh, we'll yeah. be watching this next season." That's like great. that moment where you go, "This is like uh, in for us, it's our big show's Black Sails." And when they took, I don't our- know what that is. I'm sorry. It is. Is it S A L E S or S A I L S? It's a prequel to Treasure Island. So it's S A I L S. Yeah, yeah. Not, They're not black doing sales. sales. Not a bunch of black dudes. Like, we both want to do like, hey, motherfucker. I, I'm not saying all black people sound like that, but one of my favorite voices <laughs> to do all black people is like that. classic night, late '60s, early '70s, Afroed, bell bottom, like kind of like a jive, like, hey, hey, honky. You know what I mean? It's kind of the voice Richard Pryor. It's really where I got it. Did when he was doing other black dudes. It's his yeah. black guy. Hey, hey, motherfucker, cool out, baby. Cool like, out, I, baby. I, I just, I wish. That weren't. I understand that they're. Uh, it's inappropriate on to some people, and I don't no, want but, to offend anyone. But I meant to say, like, oh my fucking flashlights on. But yes, that that moment. So I love watching movies. I love watching television with my wife. Okay, it is. There's no. 
it's better than and you'll get here with a relationship. It's better than uh, school gossip. Ooh. School gossip's the next fucking level. Church secrets. That's a good oh, one. That's like my school gossip. Probably yeah, the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I know that tantalizing sort of feel. Okay, so we both enjoy those good kind of domesticy pleasures. Yeah. I notice, and the reason I told you hanging out with Valerie is my favorite thing, is that if I'm doing a lot of shows, uh, there's a feeling like I, I, my tolerance for this thing that I love goes really down. Like, I'll put it this way. When Bono, you know Bono, when he comes off the road, he goes to uh, like a studio or like a, you know, a one-man apartment in New York for two weeks before he comes home. After like a world tour. Really? Astronauts, after they come back from the moon or from sort of some, some sort of isolating strange mission, wow. they don't just let them go to Target the next day. They put them in an underground bunker and recalibrate them for human life. I'm not saying I'm Bono, and I'm certainly not nope. an astronaut. But I do know the feeling of sitting across from my favorite person, but I've been fucking with the ring of power too much. This is why people go nuts. This is why you're Miley Cyrus. I don't even know who the, co- the current example. Mine would still be like a Britney Spears or something. Uh, we see what happens when we start believing the blowjob. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Fucking Tempe, Arizona sucked my dick. That whole audience, every show is amazing, and I I did it. So you're coming home from conquest, and you're covered in the audience's blood, and you're just so happy. Coffee's okay. here. The uh, well, the term in our house is called reentry. Reentry. So you know of what I'm talking. Hey, Leanna, can you explain reentry real quick? Uh, it's the probably 24 to 36 hour period after Bert gets home, where everyone. Becomes completely unraveled, uh-huh. including me sometimes. Because he's too much of a little tornado guy from the. Well, I think maybe somewhat, but another piece of it is, you know, the three of us, the three girls, have like a rhythm and a routine, and then Dad comes home and it's totally disrupted. Yeah, partly for good reason, you know, because Dad's here, and then we're gonna do stuff a little different. But everybody just kind of comes undone. A yeah, little bit. I get it. Oh, I'm okay. He was ta- we were talking about how uh, they don't let astronauts just go straight home and go to Target. Isn't that fun? And it's and they keep them underground. Yeah. It's like literally as reacclimating to the Earth you can get as underground. <laughs> wow, yeah, crazy. I know. Yeah, I should build a bunker out here. this is. I think we're in that bunker. Yeah, I've, I've, there's a lot of times I've coming back from uh, like e- Asia or somewhere far and have been and been kind of sequestered out here for the night. Because my, my my hours aren't right yet, and I just don't want to bother the house, and I'm up at like four in the morning. Like there's something, yeah, there's something kind of lovely about respecting that. We're talking about stand up inflates your ego, so it it allows. Really? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's our business is selling our ego. I like to say I've built a thing called Pete Holmes, and then I tell people he he will show up at this time, and he will be him. For this at long, and then uh, he will go home. You know what I mean? So we're selling our egos, and that's yeah. fine. I actually, I think it's a little bit different from a stripper, but we can talk about that later. But then coming back, you need to kind of obviously re- reacclimate to this sort of real life and and kind of who you really are, I guess, because you're oh. not your persona really. Yeah, that's, that's just an aspect of who you are. That's the problem with me. Is you are your guy? A little bit. A little bit. I've, 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 I've turned. Hey, motherfucker! I've turned the fence into just a property line. 
like where there should be a definitive six foot fence. It's now just been torn down, and there's a property line where you can tell the grass changes shades. Yeah, you don't know what fence where Bert is and where the machine is. Yeah, like, wow. Well, okay. Yeah, I saw the bottle of Tito's on your on your right next to the children's toys. <laughs> we had uh, we had no judgment. I was praising the whole. No, we you had, listen to the beginning. You'll hear how much had, I love it. You can leave. You don't have to hang out. Thank you. The, <laughs> We had it's our you friend. You can leave. <laughs> it's our friend Lynn. You dismissed her. But she was sitting here, and I was like, oh, uh, "No, I thought it was lovely." That's the shorthand uh, well, you see after how many years? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, I can't believe you weren't just like, "Get out of here, honky yeah. bitch." But she was just like, <laughs> get him, hit, the, hit the bricks, bitch. Um, <laughs> no, no. no, that's more of a modern black guy. I'm go- he, he wouldn't say bitch. It'd be like, I think that's hey, where my, my vernacular strays into like modern black dude. Yeah. Even though I'm older than modern black dude. Uh, yeah, you predate be- modern black dude. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I so- remember black dude before uh, Jive Talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jive was a good time. Like I remember, I remember just when like a, a black family moved in the neighborhood, and you guys just hung out, and they were like, and your parents were progressive, and like, hey, meet the Calvins, really? Oh, of course, and oh yeah, and I, I, wish... I grew up in the South, so I mean, all the more reason to not have been that way, right? My, not, uh, I yes, hate to, yes. I don't want to put down the nope, South. Nope, you but can I, say that. I'm from Boston, and that's a place that gets kind of we we're lumped in different. It's like a very Boston's a very weird place like that. We have like MIT and Harvard, so some of the like smartest yeah. people in the world are in this area. And then we have what I affectionately refer to as the knuckleheads, of which is in my blood, of course. You know, I got knucklehead in me. But then I wish I could say, without naming names, I have heard a lot of stuff like "There goes the neighborhood" sort of stuff. Oh, when uh, I remember. I hate it too. By the way, I, I don't yeah. think I have to say that I hate. That. You don't, yeah, you don't say. It. I, 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 I think that goes without saying. However, uh, there was a lot of talk in our neighborhood about the black family, but my, not from my parents. And and I'm not saying not from. I don't. I don't. I was too young to say anything. Yeah, I'm not saying I was noble in this. And but my parents were just very much about, like uh, no. about not seeing it as different. It's just the clothes you're wearing, man. It just is. That's yeah. that's what I think. What's so interesting about like. Caitlyn Jenner and stuff is is people uh, experimenting with identity and me separating myself from my ego as I did saying my ego I am that guy ask Valerie I'm silly I'm goofy I, I've picked a pretty good persona I can be him yeah. most of the time you know what I'm saying there isn't like how a- do you know when to turn off Pete Holmes well you know what the fact is is like because Pete Holmes, I have so Pete many Holmes other rights for you. Pete Holmes writes for me, absolutely. And he, he whispers to me and he shows up from time to time. And I can't get this out enough, so I say it any chance I can. If you feel like working a little bit, that's as good as it gets. That's how, that's how I know when to work. So if you get that, you know that vague, like, you, it's almost romantic. You're like, I could sit down and, and write something right now. Yeah. Like, you got to do it. It doesn't get any stronger than that. It doesn't matter how many times your work literally gets you paid or laid or praised. It doesn't matter. Work always kind of stinks, even if it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. So you have to learn how to listen to that side. But you know, going back to the, the, the power, the starting to believe the hype and becoming – I know you're the machine, but becoming the machine that like gets fed so much affection and love. Why would you need it from your wife or your children? Or because you're getting this sort of like, um, what's the word? Uh, what methadone? You get like methadone in your brain. I call it a serotonin drip. 
Yeah, you're on a serotonin trip, exactly. But I meant like your family might be heroin and, and you're getting this kind of like oh, downgrade. Yep, you're yep, getting yep. a synthetic when the real thing is, is the love of your family and, and people you really know. As much as I love my fans, I'm saying there's a, there's a deeper connection with people that, of course, you actually know. Oh, you know? well, yeah. Um, I forget where, where I was going. So there's the power thing and the tri- – what were we saying before that? We were, uh, we were talking about being the machine and, and the oh, serotonin. Oh, yeah, and Pete Holmes yeah. working for you and – and when do you know to turn it off? How do you know to like? Oh, that—that's. I think what really okay. So I've noticed like so we just show, uh, sold the show to HBO, right? Congratulations! Um, there's, thank you so much. There's a, but there's a reason I'm just bringing it up. Judd uh, Apatow. It was me, Judd Apatow, Casey Bloys, and Michael Lombardo, who are the two comedy. Casey is the head of comedy, and Michael is the head of HBO. And we went in, and, and numerous times we pitched the show. Numerous times since then, Judd has made fun of me. After we sold it, but he he waited until after we sold it to like playfully rib me. I'm honored, obviously, about how seriously I took the show in the pitch. Like I was very – the show is a metaphor. The show is a hero's journey. It's it's the idea of a guy – it's it's three breakups, his wife, his family, and his god. You know, like really laying out theoretically what the show well, is about. The show, if I'm not mistaken, and I, I only know about the show through Big J – yeah, well, I was in to shoot. I was in to shoot his uh, crowd work show. Yeah, and he was shooting. Oh, I didn't over know you were the there store. at the same time. Yeah, and he said, "Oh, I wish I'd seen you." He said, "This is." He said, "It's really cool, man. It's a. It's like Pete's writing like a little bit of an autobiography about like the time when his him his wife left him. Yeah, and he got into stand up, and all he had was like a bunch of fucked up dudes in his life. Yeah, try to figure it out. And I thought, I, I actually. Very candidly, I was very inspired by that. Oh wow! I was like, I was like, you know what? That seems like something. I, I didn't know it was Judd uh, doing it. I knew that after I, I saw, I got an. Uh, I think I want to say a Variety alert saying sure. that you the show had been sold, or maybe I saw it on Twitter. Maybe I did it, yeah. And I thought, uh, <clears throat> and I thought, how cool. Why isn't there more shit like that? Why isn't there more shit that's yeah. just that that you can say to us like, if I play a, a bartender, I will not be that attached to the script and I definitely won't be that attached that, that attached to the story. I'll pitch you lines that I think are funny, but it's I'm not going to fucking put my heart into it. Yes. And and when I heard about that I went, "Oh, I, I bet this is going to be good. As good as your talk show was." Oh, I thought thanks, your talk man. show was fantastic. I appreciate that so much. And and I think you know that because I I definitely tweeted you more did. about your talk show <laughs> than I do other people's projects. No, because what I liked so about sweet. it was I appreciate that. The, the highlight of your talk show. Um maybe the thing that had I been a network exec, I would have been like, everyone shut the fuck up. More of this was you and Brian Williams' daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alice that Williams. Was, that was amazing television. Oh, thanks, man. Hardcore, hardcore amazing television. It was you in 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 what you do the best and her being herself. Yeah. And I know. And, and, and I hate to agree with you, but I first of all, they had to cut it together and they did a great job. Oh, obviously. But yeah. Secondly, like me, I, I like hanging the gabbing like gals was the whole thing and hanging out with women and, and being I don't like the term girly because men can certainly be this way. But for lack of a better term, girly or, or feminine or one of the best things I've ever done on a podcast is on your podcast. And it's me and you singing Kesha. Yeah, that's right. I like being girly. That's right. Like, that's trust right. me. I don't give a fuck. A about t-shirt emotion. who said who farted. Yeah, I, like, I don't give a shit about terms of. I, I'm a girly motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. Look at the way I'm sitting right now. I know. Like, but that my was one of the. That way. My therapist. Uh, it, my, <laughs> the uh, but I, that was the that was 
That is the point in the show when someone with brains should have stopped and said, okay, this show is that. Oh, it's, that's no, it's, fine. It's, it's, it's his monologues. Your monologues were very Ellen-esque in that you were, you were delivering were original yeah. content every day. Thank you. I would have dialed back. I personally, I love every comic you had on. I would have cut half of them out. Really? 100%. Like, what, in what, what way were they on? I forget. Stand ups? Um, yeah, stand ups. Stand ups come and do an interview. I would have gotten rid of that. <laughs> I, I, that's just me. But that's just me because I, I never like stand ups. I like stand ups like this. I don't like stand ups. Man, we have, a, we have a propensity to go for the joke or be funny. And me and you have something that's, uh, that's me, you, and Todd Glass have something very similar where it's like, we're the. We're the fun target to guys. Like, we don't get our feelings hurt. We're, we take a good joke. But, like, I, in watching your show, I didn't like the way the stand-ups interacted with you. Huh. It bothered me. Oh, it, were they too mean or something? No, it was like, it was like, it was like the thing I love about you. Like, I, I'd do the same fucking thing. I'm not, I'm not critiquing. Please. But, like, I just would be like, I was, I'd be like, guys, it's fucking Pete. He's our, this, this is me watching it. He's our friend. Like, <laughs> fucking tell everyone how great he is. Uh, like, let's not, let's not, let's not make fun of him. Tell everyone that he's... Really, what one of the most talented stand-ups we know? Like, because America this doesn't fucking great. know. But That's... when I saw, <laughs> no, but I'm seeing it. Like, I'm watching this going. Oh, like, that was such a great feeling because I was like, oh, I hope Bert doesn't, uh, you know, butter my bread too much and make people no, uh, hate no, me. No, America, and then you go, America doesn't know. No, <laughs> America doesn't know how That's good perfect. you are. They really don't. They really don't know how That's good you are. Sweet. And so the whole time I watched your show, I was like, I was like, oh, half the stand-ups, half stand-ups were amazing. Like mm. Bill Burr, amazing. Yeah. Like. uh uh, I, 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 I'm forgetting now all the guys you had on. Half of them were amazing, mm-hmm. but like, but like, I, in my opinion, where that show should have gone is more of that Michelle Williams, Michelle Williams, Allison Williams, Allison Williams thing. Uh, man, that was. I agree. That's interesting. Such good television. You know, I kind of. I and like, it's your podcast. It's you on your podcast. Yeah, I like the daytime vibe. It's funny. We're in a. Night- a nighttime thing. Let me talk about the daytime thing. I did want to say the reason I told you about the lofty pitch was because I have so many other interests, and that's how I keep Pete in uh, his place. That that was my answer to your question. How do you keep? How do you turn Pete off? It's by having other interests that I'm equally passionate about. When I started, like I, I like talking about the meaning of life and philosophy and that obviously, sort of stuff. obviously, yes. That's that's probably. I never would have said anything was a tie with comedy when I was starting, yeah. but we've been doing it. I've been doing it 15 years or more. You've not been doing it 15 years. I started in 2000. Are you serious? So I've been doing it 16 years. Are you serious? Yeah. How old are you? <laughs> Is that too long? No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to say that the paradigm. <laughs> you know, I started really making a go for it in 2004. Because uh, 2001 to 2004, I was in Chicago. So you're performing like okay, that makes a couple times a I'm week. Sorry. And then you're doing weekends. And then yeah. I moved to New York. And that's where I performed. When you moved to New York is when night. I consider, in my head, of you starting. Okay, 2004 it's, then. Yeah, right. So that would be 11 years. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm definitely Please. not. I'm being, I'm being an aggressive interviewer, but uh, no, but no, but the, uh, but the reason I say that is that I know that you barked at the door at the Boston Comedy yes. Club. And I barked at the door of the comedy, Boston Comedy Club. Oh, no way. That's, I forgot that's, that. You must have said that on my podcast. I uh, must have forgotten. It is the only reason you barked at the door of Boston is because I did. Why is that? I created the job. Really? 100%. There oh, was, my God. It, was, it didn't exist. That's it did crazy. not exist. Uh, there was a guy named Louis Schaefer. If you turn around, you'll see the Boston Comedy Club flyer that I'm sure you hand, handed oh, out wow. something similar to that at the time. There's Jim Norton. Yeah. And so I would um, – I went to the club yes. when I was my 26th birthday. And I said I wanted to be a stand-up, and uh, there was no such thing as like barking per se. Mm. It was Lewis Schaefer would stand out front and be like, 
He was the host. Do you want to see a comedy show? Do you want to see a comedy show? Yeah. And I, I, through the perils of humility, I ended up becoming a barker. Uh, uh, Judah, uh, Ben Bailey, and um, Jordan Rubin mm. sat me down one night and said, this is not the way to do it. This is not how you do it. This really? Is the biggest mistake of your life. Comics only respect comics. They don't respect a guy that works the door. That's something you do at Hamburger Harry's. You don't do that here. Wow. This is the village. And I remember saying... That's weird, because when I was doing it, uh, like heroes of mine would come by and tell me, oh, I used to bark here too. <laughs> n- name one. Dimitri Martin said he, he used to bark That's here. a lie. Really? 100% that's a lie. 100% that's a lie. Why couldn't that have happened after you were there? I'll tell you you 100%. I I am telling you right now, Dimitri Martin, anyone want to say this to Dimitri Martin, that is 100% of a lie. Oh, I thought... I'll tell you why. Uh, (laughs) Dimitri and I started... No, Dimitri and I started on the same day. Oh, wow. On the very same day, we did an open mic at David J's Comedy Club, or David J's open mic at the Boston Comedy Club. Dimitri took off... Literally took off. Was doing spots in the city within six months. Mm. Um, oh, so this, he didn't bark. You know, I might be misquoting him. I'm not, not trying bark. to just no, uh, you don't, no, no, I, put I, water I, on the situation. He came by and said, I used to play here. Or, he used or, to play or there, something. definitely. Definitely. He never barked. I got, I that, got is for the, that is for the strong of heart and the strong of want. <laughs> not to say that Dimitri is not 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 either. Yeah. However, that is not Dimitri Martin. Well, it is. It's a funny thing, and this is something we're going to explore. If you know, I can't really say anything definitively about the show. I have my ideas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh no, no, I don't mean to take away like whatever creatively you do for your show. I don't mean to like oh, no, no, re- no. do a revisionist history at all. No, 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 none no, no, of this no, no, is no. on the show. Okay. I want to explore the world of barking on the show. Oh, and if if I'm only saying that with reservation because. What I want to do, I, I collaborate oh. with Judd. He might be like, "That's stupid." I don't think yeah. he'll say that. Do whatever you want to do. I, but but so so anyway. No, <laughs> oh, I wasn't like, running that by you. No, no, I know I'm not. Yeah, I, I know was, you don't. I know you weren't. Bert, I was just telling you that this is an interesting world. I agree with you it's that a it's fascinating. It's literally world. the materialization of your will, of your drive. You're like, I want to be a stand-up. Hard. It's like, go stand outside for six hours in the cold. And and the reason I'm so passionate about it, I used to listen to Chevelle because the songs were like seven minutes long. Yeah. So I knew. If I listened to like six Chevelle songs, it had yeah. been about an hour. <laughs> Dude. Uh, I used to count songs. I didn't look at my watch. How much watch. money did you make? I didn't make any money. 25 bucks a night. Really? Yep. That's 25 more bucks a night than I would make. 25 bucks a night. I had to get there at like seven. And so you really made it as a job. Dude, I'm telling you when I say this, and this I have an attachment to this, because one of your uh, kin in that period came up and pulled me aside when I came back, so so my story very quickly was, I did the, I went to this guy Louis Schaefer. He said, if you can get up, if you can bring in so many people at the end of the night, I'll let you go on before Godfrey. And Godfrey closed the shows out every night. Every night, he didn't do that when you were there. Godfrey almost never came by. Oh, oh God, this is it, that's why I said that's why when you go. Although I, doing, I was there one night when Godfrey got off stage and literally said, "Follow that." To the Barker, who is next? Are you serious? I like Godfrey. So this became like a cottage industry of Barkers. I like Godfrey I love Godfrey. I really do. Um, And I know that feeling. Talk about Ring of Power. You get off stage and you just annihilated for 15 people on a fucked up night and you destroyed... He probably would have said it to anybody. He wasn't like dis- like throwing any gauntlet down. But you know, you speak from your ego. Things like follow that come out. <laughs> you do speak from your ego. Try to destroy my ego. If you well, no, we can talk about that. But go ahead. So anyway, um, so I started barking. Everyone said it was a horrible idea. Everyone pulled me aside. 
Bobby Kelly, Patrice, uh, Jim Norton. And, yeah, Jim Norton didn't say anything. He didn't really give a fuck. He was back when he was smoking. Everyone did. And Will Smith's people came in, discovered me. And Will Smith's? People. Yeah, like the guy. Uh, his television company. Tell the truth. Came in. <laughs> he came in and uh, gave me like a six-figure deal. Barking. And Wait, you were bargaining, they saw you, and they gave you a deal? A deal. I didn't know this. Uh, yeah. That's why, <laughs> that's why I'm so... You, I want to interrupt you. You, I love it. You're, t- you're going to be the grandfather with his scotch or vodka or whatever you're talking about. You have no you fucking idea. You are going to love... I'm watching you already love, as fucking you should. Love. I love it. You love your war stories. I love them. If we... For anybody listening to this podcast while they're barking or while they're driving to some shitty gig or driving home from a shitty gig where you bombed every show and the booker at Penguins in Iowa City told you, maybe we'll have you back. Are you talking about did, yeah. Steve? <laughs> I don't remember his name because he didn't it's look me Steve. in the face. It's Steve. He wouldn't look me in the face. But if you're driving back, tearing up, listening to music because you want something Jeff so Johnson, badly. Jeff Johnson. It's Jeff Johnson. Is that the guy? Is that his name? Clubs, yeah. <laughs> Just remember that you're going to wish you had more of them. That's oh, the crazy thing. I call them my salad days. I love them. The, the pain you go through. You've never been hungrier? We're sitting in a fucking, re, re, what's that called? Repurpose, reclaimed wood paneled man cave with a couch the color of a cuban cigar (laughs) and it's leather and it's everything's delightful but when things were hard after they just get a little bit better once you just kind of over the first little hump you immediately and you're a young man immediately turn into grandfathers i do too Uh, get me drinking and talking about my barking days I'll I'll get emotional. I'll tell you about handing oh. a flyer to Ben Stiller and and he and he took it and kind of gave me a knowing nod, handed like a, hang in there. Handed a flyer to George Carlin. No shit. George Carlin and Jimmy Miller. Get the fuck out. I handed a, a flyer, like legit. Did Jimmy Miller it, work with George Carlin? I don't know. They were together, and I didn't know it was Jimmy Miller until someone said his name. Yeah, I'm not saying like I knew who Jimmy Miller was when I was a kid. Here's the thing, though, that is that I feel I've, I've always felt a connection with you in this respect because that I I believe we wanted it more than anyone else because we were I was willing at the time to to roll the dice on on the way my peers felt about me in this business. Well, that's even oh god, I can smell the cognac in your gray beard because <laughs> your granddad right now it's vodka. But I keep love going. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love taste change, but. You even have another layer, which was it's it's a it's a hero's story. They told me not to go. That's they told me not. That's to go. why I that's why I love what you say when you when Judd goes, uh, you make it funny. You I go, no, you're not allowed to. Well, do that. in my head, no, 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 no. Judd go, you don't, just, don't offend him. Don't offend him. Let me talk about him. I don't know Judd. I don't. I'm, I, I may was never just know him. Teasing me, he was. No, like, I know. No, you don't have to offend him. You don't have to offend him. You don't have to fucking say him. You don't fucking offend him. In a funnier way. But the thing, the thing is, is that. My point about that was I don't really like being funny all the time. I really don't. No, I dude, I listen to your podcast. I've listened to you be I've listened to you be like legit honest. You and Kyle that Steese, is so much You and more. Kyle Steese is Ooh. one of the best podcasts I've listened to. Really? I loved it. I, I like keep it I like talking from the heart more than I like talking from the head and my head is way funnier than my heart. My heart is pretty funny. Oh, but it's going to be funnier if I go into the realm of opinions You'll and never, preferences and all that. The, the shit. problem, the 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 indistinct problem with, and I say this 
with with an open heart with guys like me and you. And the, and the problem you'll always have with guys like me is you don't understand that I'm exactly like you. I'm identical to you. Me? A hundred no, fucking know. percent. And, but why do you think I don't understand that? Because because I look the way I look. I remember I this. I, from, I remember this from last time. No, no, no. It's yeah. No, maybe. I just remember you carrying around this idea of being a bro comedian. I'm, I'm an idea. But you know what's funny? An idea. And you know what's out of your fucking mind? Do you think if I go to fucking meltdown, everyone's like, oh, oh, I can't wait to see what he why isn't he wearing a sweater? Like what uh, like be honest though. Buddy, I love this. I think this is important work. It's so interesting who we think we are. It's like poker. What do I have? What are my cards? Yeah. What are they what do I think they have? And then what do I think they think I have? Yeah. Those are the three levels of we're in a man cave. It's nice to make a poker analogy. I actually love uh poker i say that because here that was me thinking that you might think that uh, i don't play cards i was a, i was a step behind you going uh, peter yeah that's <laughs> that do you play cards i like playing cards i love poker but uh it's very interesting i remember going with nate bar i've told this story before it's a short one though i, I went to the ucb once which was like meltdown is yeah. like meltdown in new york and ucb in new york has that long staircase down so it really feels like you're being inducted into the nerd comedy seller. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the nerd comedy seller. <laughs> but there's something about going down into it. It's like a bunker, similar to the comedy seller. That has that feeling of you're surrounded. They got you. Your your now's use can't leave. You know what I mean? They're polar opposites. I completely agree. South Korea and North Korea. But here's yeah, which one's which? Here's <laughs> Nate Bargatze, who thought of himself. I don't know how he thinks of himself now. But I see Nate as a as a bipartisan guy. He can play fiddle or he can play guitar. It doesn't matter. Like he'll do yeah. either. Just like Burr. Just like a lot of great guys that I know. It's so funny you say that. I don't say that about either of them. About Burr? Well, I mean, Burr can play wherever he wants. So can Nate. But I wouldn't say they're bipartisan guys. Like meaning, like I would never say, um, "Let's go down to UCB and hope we see Nate Bargatze." Well, okay, I agree with you. I, I, I say, I that, say I, the same I say about Paul F. Tompkins. I think Paul F. Tompkins could play anywhere. I think he's very talented. But you're going to see him in Meltdown. Yeah, you'll see him in Meltdown. Okay, all of that is just this buying into this idea that isn't real. It's just, and I see you buying into this idea that isn't isn't real. We all buy into it. No, I, of course, it's it's called reality. We're buying into yeah. it right now. So uh, Nate Bargatze, I remember I went down the stairs. I played UCB all the time, and I was trying to bring Nate there just to watch a show. And, I, and this isn't a bad story about Nate. So Nate, if you hear this, I'm not shitting on you. Nate's but I remember very he was talented, he everybody. stayed at the top of the stairs, and he wouldn't come down. He had this sort of like I don't belong there, just in his body. He didn't say that, and he eventually was like, I'm going to head and just left. Yeah. But I was down there kind of thinking, just as I would to you, to go to Meltdown. I love Meltdown, by the way. I know, I know. We're gonna- no, I, I perform there. It's a great place to do stand-up because they're there to be, see stand-up. Yeah, but, but, I know, but keep going. I don't think – and who cares if they are thinking? I think we can liberate ourselves from these types of holes. For, like, okay, so I met you later. I don't really know you. I just know you from my podcast, seeing you out a few times, a couple travel things together, and now here. Yeah. So all of that sort of background noise that you think is you, that you think everyone's seeing, that you think when we're playing cards, I have these cards, I think you have those cards, but I think you think I have these cards. I don't think necessarily you're wrong is what I'm saying. <laughs> you're wrong. Speaking of Judd, he told me this exercise that, he did, that his therapist told him about. I don't know if Judd did it. But he was like, go to a public place. 
look at a person, make some sort of judgment on that person. Like, look at that person. He's huffing around. He's got a sour face. He's probably an angry guy. He's a scary guy. He's a mean guy. And then go up to him and just engage him in some way. Just say like, hello, sorry, what time is it? Or, or what do you, where did you get that bag? Or whatever, you, just something light. And see how that guy that you thought was a sourpuss lights up. He just has resting, angry face. He was yeah. just in a rush. He forgot where he parked for a second. Yeah. So you're wrong. So you also, like a lot of human beings, are wrong about how you proceed. I only see you as a relevant, as an evolving, as an intellectual, as a smart, as a self intuitive, understanding, exploring person. Yeah. And part of that. There might be a fringe of neuroses like we all have, like, where do I belong? Where am I? But just like, I, you know, like if you were at Meltdown, I wouldn't bat an eye. If you were at the Laugh Factory, I wouldn't bat an eye. And yeah. we're, we're as free as we want to be. This is kind of what 100%, I'm hundred percent, however. <laughs> That's me calling Nate down the stairs. You will kill here. You will love it here. However, if a guy has a neck tattoo that says, fuck the world, chances are. Maybe let's, you know, play a rock club or something. <laughs> You know thing, what? You thing. know what doesn't fly is lack of chops. So if I'm at the improv and I see one of my dear alt friends and they go up and I'm literally like, "What are they doing here?" And I've seen this my whole career. The, these clubs trying to get in on that sweet alt cash. Oh, the NYU kids come for these cerebral guys or whatever, you, or the sensitive guys or whatever you want to say. But then they come and they play Caroline's or they play the Laugh Factor, they play, play the improv, and you see. Uh, they don't have the chops to make what they're saying, which is funny, funny for these people who don't aren't invested in your essence as much as your words. And as I'll, much I'll as say the job. same about uh, uh, bro comics or whatever. The, someone with the alter, uh, alternative that that is is it's it is sad when you go to the UCB and you see someone try to do bits like do like do like like do like uh, their act like, like do their act do the like, album. Right, they and go out and like, do the album. You're like, oh, that's not what this is about. Yeah, I really do think I've never said that before. It really is an attachment to essence or an attachment to like material and delivery, or you know, and you need both. But what's happening when you're performing at UCB most often, and if you're what's happening if you're performing at Meltdown, what I've actually become quite addicted to is performing for people who aren't just fans of your thoughts because stand up isn't about the words. That's a big thing for me. It's not about the words. I have a bad set of I'm backstage going, what am I going to open with? That's a bad place. That's head. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about heart. You're going out and being yourself. You're being available to them to create the show that they need to see. You see how I could get long-winded in a, in a pitch. It's not long-winded. Uh, but I feel them peering a little bit more closely. I play the seller. They don't give a fuck. I will deliver. I will deliver. Would you like me to fuck you now? Yes. Okay. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Everybody comes. It's great. Or give me Meltdown, where everyone knows me, where I was there three weeks ago, or whatever it is. They're aware of the podcast. They know my soul. They know who I am. I can make them laugh with something just true, just something relevant to that moment. They can, they'll, they'll laugh at my presence at me being there with them that's why crowd work is so much funnier than it actually is that's why improv doesn't work on television and there's no live tension all that sort of stuff so i i'm addicted to the essence fans the guys that and the girls that come out because they love 
you and who you are and where you're from, and they know that. Yeah. That's a very different type of stand-up than going to the weight room, which is going to the Laugh Factory. Nobody gives a shit. If I go to the Laugh Factory, I can tell maybe 10 people out of the 200 know who I am because they woo a little bit louder or whatever. That's a very small number. The rest are people who spent $35 on fucking nachos that are just like the nachos Will Ferrell made at the beginning of Step Brothers and they're feeling gypped and you go up and you have to fucking deliver in the same way that Transformers 2 needs to deliver. Don't you miss that a little bit? Like, Oh, I don't, I don't miss it. I do both. No, but don't you? No, but I, I understand like, uh, like, not to pick apart what you're saying, but like having a podcast and being on these podcasts and us carrying this on, on this dialogue with these fans, when we go on the road, we get fans at our shows and it's, and it's, and that is where you get to show your soul and you get to take some real chances on stage and, and, and maybe, and, and maybe you're doing it more than I am. I think I only because I, I've heard rumors of what you're doing on the road, but like, But uh, do I miss it? Is your question? Do no, I like do, no, no. I'm saying oh. like you, you're taking, you're getting to have liberties with with like the opportunities, the chances you've taken, and 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 share thoughts that aren't normally shared by standups. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I heard you were touring with a priest, a pastor, a pastor. So like those chances. Nick DiPaolo's not doing that. Uh, and I love Nick DiPaolo, but like he's not touring with a pastor. But, I heard he was going out with a rabbi, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the fucking Jewish material. Yeah, yeah. It's so <laughs> but, easy. But uh but like do you miss and I and this draws back to your, your new TV show, do you miss being the one stranger in the room where no one knows you and you go in and and you and and you have those chops where you're destructive because and no one fucking knows you. I know what you mean. That feeling, that's the conqueror. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, if you want to mainline, what did you, the endorphin high? Serotonin drip. Serotonin drip. 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 If you want to really get a good serotonin drip going, it's a different feeling. Crushing for your fans is, is, I don't miss it. I love it. I love that more than anything. But if you're trying to get as high as you possibly can, I've given this a lot of thought. Here's what you want. I wouldn't put anything past you that you haven't given a lot of thought. You, I, I've, I listen to your podcast. I do listen to your podcast. I'm honored. Every, you're one of the more thoughtful human beings I know. Oh, thanks, man. Well, I don't, it's not a compliment. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's, like, no, but it literally, literally, you are one of the more thoughtful human beings I've ever listened to. Where I go, I, I'm literally like. To, how does he go to sleep? Like, because I, I know that when I go to sleep, I lay in bed, my head like kind of spins, and I'm like thinking this, thinking that, thinking this, and I was like, "You've you've run it all over your head." You were saying, "I'm so I apologize." Yeah, that was a very kind thing to say. Um, the the ideal situation for a stand up, it's like Mamet. David Mamet wrote this book about the perfect ball game, mm-hmm. and about how like the home team needs to be up, and then it needs to be down in the seventh, and then they need to come back in the ninth. Obviously, basically, that's what a movie is. If you watch, you know, around an hour into a movie, the guy's going to go down, then he's going to go down even further, and then he'll win it back in some small way or a big way, if it's Star Wars or something. Anyway, here's the best one for a stand-up, in my experience. It's it's actually not what you might think. You might think it's like 
the road, West Palm Beach improv, some hard thing, and they're they're drunk and everybody is eating shit. I actually think it's almost better if you know some of the other comics and you're on a show where everyone's eating shit, everyone's going and sweating and yelling and dancing as fast as they can trying to win over this piss poor corporate or fucking otherwise congregated, you know, they're assembled for some other reason, so they're a terrible audience. And then you go up fifth. The show's already been called. The show sucks. And you go up, and there's a combination every safe, and that's what's so haunting as a stand-up. You get off after a bad set, you know the pain is in the knowing that it was 32, not 34, and it was 7, not 6. And you fucked up, and the the bomb went off, and so the cash flowing out. But you go up, 6, everybody sucks, and there you, you find them. And maybe you go quiet. Maybe you tell them it's real alpha male shit. You, you, you're like, everyone's yelling at you. I'm going to go quiet. Or everyone's going quiet. I'm going to yell at you. But you find them and you grab these stupid motherfuckers and you whip them from a group of Ted and Barbara and there's Bill from accounting. And you whip them from individuals into an audience. And you merge with that audience and become a show. So you're not even there. You're just kind of the, – the show is passing through all of you. Yeah. And you crush. And from then on – the show is great. So you not only get a great set, but you get to even – I don't have a savior complex, but you play a, a little bit of a savior to the show. Yeah. That is a sweet bump of cocaine right it there. Is. I is. Li- so I, that is great. And when they don't know you and they don't respect you and they don't laugh at you because they maybe saw you on TV, that's some sweet shit. That's going out into the jungle, face paint, the whole thing, loincloth, spear you made, and you fucking tackle a cougar or whatever and you, and you bring back its balls. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing feeling. It is. It's not exactly what I want all the time, though. I want that to be some of my experience. Every once in a while, I'll have a show. I just did a fundraiser with Rob Corddry and the Sklar Brothers and these guys, and it was a a fundraiser for a school. And it wasn't terrible. It was actually quite good. But you realize you have to have some reserves. You have to have some, some skill. And you go, oh, yeah, just like the old old retired warrior. You go like, oh, yeah, I used to behead horses, you know what I mean, with one swipe. Yeah. And, and then there's what I'm doing now, which includes a playful amount of I can crush you motherfuckers, even though they're all bearing their necks from word go. You know, they're, they're wanting you to kill them. I an like, interesting analogy, bearing their necks from the word go. That's yeah. a really great analogy. As opposed to resisting As, yeah, you, no, like oh fucking, it's just like, murder me. Yeah, they, that's a they want you to be great, but I, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade it for anything. When I when I tape my next hour, it's just going to be jokes and goodness. You know what I mean? It's just going to be bits and and home run derby. I'm going to try and but bits, crush like, every where, bit. Where, where's your stand up going? See, I don't know. You know, sometimes I dabble with the idea. I, I like the idea of infusing nutrition into your stand-up. And that's what Carlin did. Really? I think so, for sure. Carlin was setting people free. You don't think so? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not that... I'm not... I'm, you gotta remember, man. I will say... You can say whatever you want to say about me in that, no, Bert, you don't... But, like, I'm a pretty regular fucking dude. Like, I like... <laughs> like, I, like, I like to laugh. I like to laugh. That's yeah. first and foremost. <laughs> if you get me to laugh, great. Yeah. A lot of times, the message is lost on me. Like, like... I, I wouldn't say that um, – I mean, I'm, sure, I'm sure you could argue that Chris Rock and Louie would be putting nutrition in their messages. I don't know if I ever got the nutrition. I just got the fucking big gut laughs. Great. 
What's more honest than a laugh, though? Right. If you want to know who somebody is, the last person you can really trust is them. That's not true for everybody. But for a lot of people, there are a lot of walls up. But I've likened getting someone to laugh. It's kind of like banging them with that little rubber mallet at the at the doctor mm-hmm. because it's literally a, a reflex your intellect is part of it but really it's coming from a deeper place so if you really want to get to know some, you want to find out if someone's a racist tell a racist joke you know what I, I mean? That's not the right way. I'm not. I'm not saying you should literally do that. I've laughed. Like you can catch me off guard and say something racist, and I'll laugh and I'll go fuck. I feel like someone said. Someone said. I understand, that. but isn't that a little glimpse into like a truer, darker, weirder place? I'm not saying you should tell racist jokes. That's just right, an extreme right. example. Uh-huh. So similarly, again, this is head heart stuff. Head, I got the message. I left Carlin and I got it. Yeah. It's all a sham and the government's against us. Did you really? Or Bert laughing his ass off. Isn't that a better way for those seeds to take root? Aren't you – when we watch a movie, we can watch a movie, uh, Ex Machina or any of these – anything that's coming out. And you can then talk to somebody afterwards in a corduroy jacket with elbow patches and they can tell you about the message and the metaphor of the movie. Mm-hmm. What's really being sold to you. And that person, just because they intellectually got it, isn't necessarily better, and it might not even be as good as the person who's deeply stirred by it in their heart. So there you are laughing, and there's the nutrition around it, but it's actually you're becoming the thing. You're having certain aspects of your being reinforced Mm -hmm. and other aspects uh, negated. It's sad that, as you say, ex machina, I go, I wish he had used the butterfly effect as an example. Uh, (laughs) That movie fucking uh, stirred me uh, really stirred me and i was like it literally stirred me where i was like i loved it and then i came home and i couldn't stop thinking about it that's great and i was like whoa now now where's the difference between and i and i say this because he's my friend but i believe kyle c sometimes borderlines on more medicine than than yeah that's not for me that's not my cup of tea i like i like kyle it's, i love kyle that's not yeah. for me that's not what i'm after and that's not what i'm going to do right <laughs> i actually you know uh, I'm not that familiar with Kyle. I really am not. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I've seen little snippets here and there. Um, so then let me stop this right now. How do you prepare to interview someone on your podcast? I heard that Kyle, uh, <laughs> it's so silly, was my whole career I had heard that he was doing weird shit. Uh, you, never, you never knew him in the clubs? No. Oh. I had never met him. It, God, when we did the we podcast, really, that's we where we really met. dodged like we were we were sliding doors in our careers you and i a hundred percent because i feel like i feel like the guys i knew in the clubs you didn't yeah but i knew all the guys you knew in the clubs i knew i knew jay there's another question i have to ask you later about starting with jay and lewis and and fucking jamie kilstein and that weird posse jamie and i barked together yeah jamie barked too yeah just a fucking all i want is 15 percent the uh, uh, of our zero, you can of have your it. zero. Of your You've zero. already received it. Um, but uh, there was a moment, by the way. So I, I have, to, I, have got to tell you this. I always thought it was you. I didn't. I don't think it was you. Now, obviously. So uh, I get done. What if it was me? I, That'd be I fun. Would pray to God it wasn't you. I know that because you would have remembered it. Um, I get done. I, do, I get a deal. I move out to L.A. Uh, for like a year. I come back. Patrice and I are going to do a tour in Scotland, and. Uh, I come back to like freshen up and I'm doing the club and I go up and there's four, four people barking up front and I was like, shut the fuck up. 
And the second I walk up, they all know who I am. They're like, oh, my God. Cause, because because of the way I'd set up the paradigm. And this definitely wasn't me. It definitely wasn't you. Uh, <laughs> and because I said the way I set up the paradigm, it seemed like if you bark, you could get a deal. Because Barry owned the club. And Barry was a manager. And he was a big manager. And he had, he had, a, he had a knack for getting people's deals. And, and it was a way for Barry to see you. Because now, because I had done that, Barry thought this is a great – this is a great farm league to get good talent to bark. Barry so, never came by when I went. The Barry Cats, who yeah. I, I, it's so funny. I was going to say, I guess he has a reputation in the biz. So I was going to say, who I actually quite like. I like Barry. Yeah, I, I like Barry too. I was always waiting for him to be there. Uh, yeah. And, and so he, he never was. Barry and I walk into the club one time. There's four guys out front barking now. And uh, me and Bill, Bill Burr's in there. And I walk in, and this is right when, right when Bill's changing. And I, I say this because this is when I saw it. I don't know when Bill decided. But when Bill changed from the Brian Regan, like, like what's up with infomercials? To, yeah. like, to like, fuck women and their fucking rights. Like, right, right, right. And I remember seeing that set, and I talked to Bill that night about it because I said, whatever you're doing is fantastic and he goes that's so funny barry and i just stopped working together because he doesn't like what the direction i'm going in and i was like that's so fucking odd one of the barkers came back to that little corner in the boston in the back by the bar the dark corner you know where fucking shit went down and where comics would hang out this guy comes back to me and he goes uh i just want to thank you you know you know, I, I didn't know how to get into this. Bit. It was really hard to figure out how to get into stand up in New York. Like, mm-hmm. how do I like, do? I hang out in the back? And this guy was saying whatever you're saying. Like, you know, like I heard you got a deal, and I heard you're in L.A. now. That's so fucking cool. And my brain the whole time, and this is the kind of brain I have, was like, I was uncomfortable by the compliment, and I thought a quick way to end it would just try to kiss him on the lips. And I was drunk, and. <laughs> He was like oh literally like talking to me seriously, and I was like, huh. and in my head, I'd always wondered, I wonder if that was, I wonder if that was Pete because I knew you <laughs> barked too. You're the only person I know that barked there. I don't know anyone else that ever barked there. Well, there was a kid named Oz. That's a great. Story. Did you kiss him on the lips? No, I didn't. That's hilarious. Bill Burr was though. sitting there. It would have been fucking. Fucking. This is restricted airspace. I remember seeing Burr make that transition too. That's Carlin taking off the suit from the straight lace to the black t-shirt sort of thing. What's your I love transition? that transition. Well, I, I underwent that same thing. Uh, you know, I went from Brian Regan being my favorite comedian. Mm-hmm. He still is one of my favorite comedians, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But Bill Burr is now my favorite comedian, and it's be- it's that same sort of. It's different, but it's similar. It's like. I think these days there's so much uh, entertainment and there's so much access. Uh, I can look up your wife's Facebook page and figure out her favorite books, movies, her interests, look at her parents, all that stuff. Uh, So the artist then, I think, is given a new creed, which is to be even more, even more. Uh, You go to my Facebook page, you'll learn dick. It doesn't have anything on there. But if you really want to look for me, you can find out everything. You can – my recurring nightmares or earliest memories. Everything is is available for consumption. And with Burr, when – remember, we were talking about – the dark corners. Maybe you, you will laugh at a racist joke. Burr, and what I'm trying to do too, I'm trying to be the sort of person that is uh, sharing all of me, including moments where I'm not as smart as I should have been. I remember I said tranny on my podcast once, and, pe- and a lot of people were like, you can't say that. That's like a really bad term for a, a transvestite. You're supposed to say transgendered or transsexual or whatever. And I didn't know. But you leave it in. You don't go back and take it out. You're like, here is... 
everything, including moments of ignorance, including moments of other shortcomings. I'm not going to say like racism. That isn't really something that I struggle with. But what happened? Why am I laughing at that joke about bad Chinese drivers? What's going on? What's, let's shine a light in that corner. And what I see Burr doing and what I see Mark Marin doing and what I see Louis obviously doing is really pulling their skirt all the way up. You know what I mean? I know I just made them women. But it's like Louis had that terrifying bit about his wife being trying to start painting. And essentially, he was just making fun of her. I say terrifying because our inner worlds can be very scary to us. Uh, you know, we have those weird moments, 2 a.m., getting up to pee, and such a strange thought flashes through your mind. Of course, we, we leave that out, and we don't present that to people, and we keep it to ourselves, and it just festers and kind of mutates in the darkness. And then you have someone like Louis who does this bit about, like, shut up and do your stupid fucking paintings sort of thing, but he's giving a voice to a very real, scary side of a husband who doesn't really think his wife's hobby is legitimate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, even though it's gross, uh, or grotesque, I should say, why is Eminem so popular? Because he's talking about killing his mother. You want, Can we get Dr. Freud on the phone? Can we get somebody to acknowledge that every generation is going to have these mouthpieces for, hey, I will give voice to our dark feelings and I will be the symbol of that and I'll be the whipping boy for that and I'll, I'll be your catharsis. You can think that's an Eminem type thought and you'll feel a little bit less alone even in your own grossness, even in your own ugliness. Now, are you contrasting that with comics that talk i mean i mean I, I wish i could say a name but i can't but like todd barry and jim norton comics, <laughs> comics that are talking about stuff with less uh personal sustenance i don't mind it at all because there was a time i grew up religious as you know i was very uh squeaky clean myself and i there was a real need for me to be entertained that that is something that everybody needs so I wanted something that didn't challenge my ethics. So watching Brian, who I, I still think these bits are great, uh, and watching even Dane Cook, who wasn't that dirty. I really liked uh, Dane. Uh, his first album in particular really spoke to me. Um, and then Mitch Hedberg. These guys that their bits weren't... Patrice who I now acknowledge is a great comedian. You didn't before? He scared the hell out oh, of me. I bet he did. I, I would watch him talking about his lunch. girlfriend peeing on him and i'd be like we don't talk about that we certainly don't do that oh you know oh, I mean? oh oh I, th I just assumed he was a bully to you no he wasn't a bully he was actually pretty sweet to me he is he, is. he would break my balls i but again war stories yeah I, salad days yeah i look back at patrice making fun of me he called me a codependent motherfucker and i literally after that moment, started looking into what codependency was. And guess what? He was absolutely right. People were like, he had that ability to pick up on exactly what your weakness was. What a privilege. What a soothsayer. What a gift. You know what yeah. I mean? So I wish I could. I wish I, I wish it was queued up. Um, I have tape from when we were in Scotland, me and Patrice. And I have tape of his sets and tape of us hanging out. In wow. A, and I know it was. I've and it really kind of uh, I don't know it it was a very weird because I looked so young in mm -hmm. the in it and it's this it just really kind of fucking shook me because Patrice this I'm assuming treated me and you identical in that it was 
I look back at it very fondly, but I'm certain there were times where he was like, no, I really don't like you. <laughs> but but but, yeah. it, but I always looked up to Patrice. I love the way he did stand-up. I love the way he saw the world. I love the way he presented himself. I love that it was not... It was not what you thought it was, and then it was exactly what you thought it was. Yes, that's right. What was, a, how well put. He was he was one of my one of my favorite people to watch work. But if you're talking to a kid who married the first girl he ever slept with, that's whoever you. got a blowjob from when she went down on me, I've said this many times. It was our engagement blowjob. I knew we were going to get married because we had done this. Uh, and then you're on stage, and I, I remember he just like give instructions on how to make a girl squirt. That's not what I'm looking for. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand uh, now. I'm still not exactly in that camp, but I can watch it now. Patrice's What the Fuck episode is one of my favorite things in the world because he's up there. What the fuck episode? Marin? WTF? Oh, my God. You caught me off guard. I was like, what the fuck? It stands for Yeah, what? I know. I literally, I literally <laughs> Nobody, I, you caught me off guard. That, that, is just, so transcended, like pe- that is so transcended that WTF. It's like people that call 911. Yeah. <laughs> Don't it, say that. It's when you 9/11. say what the fuck to me, I went, what? Yeah. Like, what crappy show is that? But, he, but WTF is, his, is transcended that. His, yeah, his, uh, his episode, he talks about being an amazing fisherman and, and catching like a marlin. And then you pull the marlin up on the boat, and that's like getting a girlfriend. And then the girl, the marlin, then expects the man to lose all of the attributes that attracted the marlin to the guy in the first place, meaning his proficiency at fishing. He was an amazing fisherman, so he attracted a marlin. And then the marlin says, stop fishing. This is deep psychological solidarity for any person. Men and women feel that way, by the way. That's not just men. Feel like the thing that made me sexy and virile got me a partner, and then as soon as she shows up, I'm supposed to put on a sweater and sit down to urinate. You understand? So now I understand, Patrice, because I've lived a life. But if you're in... And I'm not saying everyone that loves Brian Regan hasn't lived a life, but they probably haven't scumbagged it up as much as I have. They probably haven't, you know... And and, and by you saying that, you you automatically admit there are guys that have scumbagged it up a lot more than you. That's right. And and that's that's an interesting view because... And I can certainly appreciate guys that have scumbagged it up. I don't have to have experienced what they're saying, but I put down the heavy bags of... Everything you're saying, I'm going to judge ethically, compare it to my own values, judge, oh, and project wow. back to you. I'm going to give you this laugh, because <laughs> I'm uncomfortable, and I don't want you to think that I'm endorsing fingering a girl so deep that she squirts ejaculate. But fuck that shit. Relax. Listen to another person yeah. dispassionately, yet compassionately listen to someone fucking else. Yeah. A big, fat, black guy. From the projects, who's been to jail, who's done all this fucking, you know, you know what I mean? Who's done all this fucking. Who's done all this fucking. Relax. It's not you. It doesn't need to challenge your essence. But we're so protective going back to who we think we are. Well, if I laugh at this large black man, what am I? I'm not Tim from Peoria. I don't know yeah. why I picked Peoria. Fucking relax. It's okay. We don't have to be so fragile with what we... What, I don't have to be... I don't know what you need to do. But I was very fragile with what I would let in. I was afraid of the next thing being the thing that would corrupt me. Whereas now I can say on the other side of having been corrupted, been divorced, 
past. I've had a good whoring period. I've done drugs. I've drank. I've I've made mistakes, quote unquote. I don't think any of them are mistakes, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I, I've I've learned that um, uh, what was the word I was using? Not being disgraced, but getting off your high horse is where the real juice is. It's in the mud. It's in the dirt. It's in the mess. Flowers grow out of dirt. You understand? So I used to think I was a flower and I needed to stay away from the dirt to keep my orchid leaves as pretty as possible. And now I'm like, the closer I feel to any any sort of awakening is is is, is sludging through the slop. Well, the fun of being a flower is the wind blowing you back and forth. Yeah, and getting close to the dirt and being like, "What the fuck? Exactly, oh yeah. shit!" It's really. Um, <laughs> I want a bird flower. I, oh, it's going to be a lily. It just has a bird, a, a <laughs> lily with a beard. <laughs> um, do you have someone playing Patrice in your uh, sitcom? Is no. it a sitcom? You just reminded me of my father. He always goes, "Prita, how's this sitcom going?" <laughs> like, well, and then it, you can't be like, "Well, Dad, it's kind of like girls, you know? It's kind of like a." You know, it's a comedy, but it's real, and it's not like everybody. There, I keep my parents so far away from this show; really? <laughs> like they have not seen the pilot. Uh, I'd like to keep it that they don't even know that I could show them the pilot. How did you shut down? How did you shut down the part of you that knew they'd end up he- like the way I understand the part of you that knew they'd end up hearing you at some point and going, "Fuck, I am growing, I am changing, I am not the child that they raised." What will people think? That is that is the most toxic thing I know. Because you're not a bad person at all. However, no, but I'm being honest. No, I, I you know what? I, here's my problem with you. Sometimes I feel like I'm being honest, but then I feel like I feel like sometimes like I go, I go, I'm, I feel like I'm being too honest. But I think it's because I listen to you and I know who you are that I go <laughs> that I go uh, like I, I like. But the truth is, like, you came from a place where sometimes open thought and the way you're living your life right now right now yeah is not uh a, is not the way the best op- to, uh, the option in life like you grew up with with this faith-based value system and you are a out of uh, out of the box thinker <laughs> hardcore you really are thanks buddy and and uh but like how do you shut that off like it's it's that is to me it's one of the dark nights of the soul i'm not saying i actually literally had a dark night of the soul but you hold in one hand who you were and you hold in the other hand who you are becoming. And at a certain point you need to let go of what will people think even when it comes to your parents. And this is what I think uh, really growing up is. And that can happen when you're 50. That's what American beauty is about. It's about a guy who goes, I'm done caring what you think. And you know, and actually, now that I think about it, his wife is cheating on him, and that's what makes him snap, and that's what makes him live the life that he wants to live. He smokes dope, he lifts weights, he works at a burger place. We love these stories because they're stories about people making that transition. Where you go, I am so grateful for the uh, foundation that my parents gave me, and I do try and honor them in some sort of way, but at a certain point. I was like, that game, and it really is a game, of pleasing mommy and daddy and playing the role of the golden boy son, literally playing a role, choosing some thoughts over others, choosing some behaviors over others. Uh, I needed to get divorced in order to break some of those things. But now, you know, therapists would call this boundaries. You have boundaries. My mom says, um, talks about this show that we're making or the talk show. And I would just say three words. It's not for moms. There's four words. It's not for moms. It's not for moms. It's not for moms. I didn't like that uh, sketch you did where really smart. you're wearing a, a bondage costume 
and we did that. I was wearing like a see-through mesh shirt and like a like a, one of those masks, like a leather mask with a zipper mouth. Yeah. I was like, yeah, we didn't make it for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's okay. I, I love being your boy, and I will come and be your boy. But I'm also out in the woods fucking cutting up dragons and shit, doing the work, figuring out who it is that I am. Yeah. I was your son. I still am your son. But I was playing that part. And then, you know, this is all Joseph Campbell stuff. It's like, can we say a hearty yes to our adventure? That's the question. You're being called out of the village. You're in the village. There's mom. I make this analogy all the time. There's dad. There's your family. There's the kids you went to school with. And it's chicken night. And you say, I want to go into the woods. And they go, but it's chicken night. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then you go out in the woods and it's hard. It is. I, you know, I talk about every Tuesday. I wake up usually in the middle of the night with a little bit of a panic. What did I say? Are people going to stop loving me because the podcast comes out on Wednesday? Oh, okay. So there's oh, yeah, yeah, fear yeah. involved. So there you are in the woods and you're eating twigs and shit. And you remember, oh, it's chicken night. And you miss the comfort of the village. People staying in the village aren't stupid. But people that leave aren't stupid either. Yeah. But there is a price that you pay. But it's so much better. It's so much better to open as many windows as you can inside of yourself. Every door is unlocked. At least, you know, there's some areas that I'm kind of like, I don't want to talk about that to the public. But if Valerie wants to talk about it, or a dear friend of mine would like to talk about this strange thing, it's open. And light is in there. And air is flowing in there. And that's, that's not just the job of the artist. That's the job of everybody. You know, I, I think it was um, Hemingway said there's nothing, uh, gr- there's nothing great in feeling superior to your fellow man. What's, what's truly noble is being superior to your former self. And I think that's, yeah. that's the shit. The, uh, I don't know why I accrued this out of that, but I, <laughs> but I had to say the, my, my, also my favorite part of your talk show was your uh, cold opens. Oh, thanks, man. They were so well done. <laughs> thanks. So well done. They were really were. So back to the, the, the TV show, which is, I'm assuming, oh, single, single camera? It is single cam, and my parents will probably be challenged by it. Can I tell you the other technique around it? Is you just have to get it. I'm very fortunate to have parents that didn't watch things, you know, so it was liberating. They wouldn't like... Like maybe my dad would stay up to watch if I was on Conan or something. Yeah. But at a certain point after I had done it once, they stopped and that's fine. Yeah. So it became this kind of mutual liberating experience. I have parents, uh, I have friends whose parents have Google alerts and stuff. I, I, I don't, I'm glad that I don't have any of that. I feel yeah. fortunate. But when it comes to the HBO show, they are going to watch that. And you know, it's interesting. The show is going to have what we're talking about. It, it is, it is at least this is what I'm intending, it's going to show what's it like for a kid who believed he was this to get thrown into that. And that's what any good story is for me. Yeah. It's, it's not just like a conflict-free show. It's me, um, when you're outside of all of these kind of cradles, I, uh, let's look at what I was agreeing with before. I am my mother's son. I am Petey Sweetie. You understand? I'm the golden boy, and I do this, and I do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. Add on to that. I am married. I am husband. I am married to this woman. Uh, therefore, I don't uh, fuck other people. Certainly not. Um, I don't do drugs. That's just not what good Christians do. Um, I used to think, uh, I used to feel really bad if I had four drinks. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I remember one night I finished a bottle of wine, which is roughly four glasses, and I was like, 
oh my god, I'm I'm a monster. And now I'm like, I've, I'll finish a bottle of wine and it'll be three o'clock, and I'll be like, oh boy, oh. lunch got away from me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the show is going to have some of that. I'm very interested. In guys like Big J, in guys like Attell, in guys like Todd Berry, guys like Jim Norton, these guys that I say with love have a, um, I don't want to say, they're not, they're not scumbags, but I was using the term scumbag earlier. They're in, they're in the mix. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're out there. They're, they're living they're, They keep weird hours. They sleep during the day uh, and they drink at night and they meet girls and, you know, some of these guys, not so much anymore, but back when I knew them. So here's a sweetie who thinks he's a sweetie, but you know, who said you're only as faithful as your options sort of thing. Now I'm divorced and now I'm broke and I'm living with these guys and I'm really being thrown into stand up. But where is the heart? Jay, big Jay in reality, who's in the pilot did teach me about a lot of different things. One of them, this is such a strange thing. I've told this before to him is like I remember I would be on McDougal Street and he'd go and get a pack of cigarettes and he I never believed this. He just asked the guy, I hope we get to do this on the show. He asked the guy in that little bodega box, like it was like a corner box, just to look at the uh, issue of club or barely legal or something. Yeah. So a porno mag. He flips through it with me and the guy and every and a, a line behind him just kind of to see if there's anything in there that he likes then gives it back. And I'm the guy, so I'm a good Christian boy, right? Pornography is shameful and certainly secret. Yeah. So I was, quote unquote, using pornography. But when I saw Jay's, the way he was casual and honest about it and open about it and unashamed about it, there was something very appealing. What a strange lesson in that brief moment to learn. One of the things that like hurt my marriage, it's certainly not why we didn't uh, stay together, was the fact that I wasn't honest sexually. And pornography, I kind of, I I wouldn't even say it's love-hate, but I have a lot of feelings about it, a lot of thoughts about it, ranging from it can be cathartic, it can be good. We have sexual shame and seeing kind of liberated people fucking and not being afraid. There's a service in that. And then, of course, I can be like, the the exploitation of this is fucking horrendous. But, you know, it's it's both. I have those same feelings, too. It's both and. Yeah. Exactly. Um, But that's, that's a small type of... Hey, I'm a good boy, and I look at pornography in the dark. Jay is a bad boy. He looks at pornography publicly. He goes to a a nudie theater. I bet he would. I don't know if he has, but he would. But when I talked to Jay, and when I was in need, and when my wife had left me, here he is. Here, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. We love stories about bad people, quote-unquote, doing good things. Jay was nurturing to me he was kind to me he got me sitting at that back table with burr that leads to me opening for burr it's not literally what happened but you know at least a little work here and there and this very unlikely community again i don't have the stories all beat it out just yet but regardless of what we decide on is going to happen in the first season um it's going to be a story about these unlikely guys uh, guys, for lack of a better uh, example, might see prostitutes or might <laughs> start drinking and not yeah. stop until the morning who have light in them, who have goodness in them, who 
have more honesty and light and goodness than some of the people that are claiming to have honesty and light and goodness because who trusts those fucking idiots? The, 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 the <laughs> amount of honesty that happened when you when you meet stand-ups, the amount of honesty, the amount of non-bullshit that goes on <laughs> of them just going, no, this is like, what? Why, why are you fucking lying for? Yeah. Be who you're going to be. That's right. Uh, You'll like, never meet a group that's more, well, for the most part, that's more interested in who they really are. You know? At that time, too. And I'll... And I'll and speaking truth, you 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 caught, I think you caught this industry at the right time for your soul, where it was on where it was honest. I think it's changed. I think now I agree. it is a propaganda narcissism machine where people have these like look. I mean, look at this. It's a fucking podcast. Like, do, am I really? Do I think I'm Larry King? <laughs> no, but but I do it. And like, look at our fucking Twitter profiles. Hey, sold out shows at the fucking ice house. Like, what? Like. But when we were doing it then, and I say we, but I was in LA at the time, but like, it was very real. It was like when, and I'm, I don't, I, I, I only can assume when you were there, but there w- was barely MySpace. I don't think it was even out yet. Yeah, there was MySpace. <clears throat> was it really MySpace in two thousand one? Yeah. Fuck man, I'm okay, but but or, still, I'm sorry, two thousand. Yeah, no, two thousand two thousand. But it showed up. Around, I remember joining in like 2003. I remember, uh, I could probably ballpark it. Yeah, 2003, that makes sense. Because I resisted. Uh, I used to think it was stupid. Right. It's like, why would I want to do that? But that was the thing, was all us comics were cynics. And especially if you were hanging out at the cellar or the Boston Comedy Club, you were hanging out with very real motherfuckers who were just, just in the moment, in the now, in the set, in the, hey, are you doing Caroline's? Can I get a ride up to Caroline's so I can get back down to the village by 11? It was a very now... I don't know. I don't know if that place. Will ever, I don't know if that time will ever exist. I understand. You know what's weird though is as much as I uh, enjoy everything you're saying and and uh, resisting MySpace and stuff. There was also I started seeing guys like Aziz, and I saw guys like Mulaney and Kroll, and really, what helped me understand the alt scene, quote unquote, the room scene, as opposed to the clubs. It's a little joke I have with myself. All the club guys have names like, let's say there's a guy in the, that works the clubs whose name is Bob Momo. Okay. Yeah. So if Bob Momo were in the alt scene, his Twitter handle would be Bob Momo because he would have found out about Twitter when it was still kind of coming up. All those kind of older cats have names like Bob Momo Comedy. Do you understand? And their websites are bobmomocomedy.com, which is fine. That is such a brilliant insight. Isn't that funny? So it wasn't Robert really- Kelly Live. <laughs> Robert Kelly Live. I'm not even teasing. It's just like Fuck. that. Those were guys that wanted to do the set. And there's a purity to that. And I, I love that. But then I started seeing guys like Aziz. Aziz had a lot to do with me um, changing gears. Berbiglia. Who? Dimitri. These guys. What are they doing? Yeah. What are they doing? They're they're playing theaters. Yeah. They're crushing it. They're going out and they're not just hacking. I don't mean being hacks. I mean grinding it away at the comic strip. They're doing something. They have things that are working the road even when they're sitting here having a falafel with me. They're out there touring even when they're sleeping. Yeah. It's because they had a technological know-how. So right at the point where I was starting to get decently funny, it also happened to be the time when YouTube was really blowing up. I started seeing real these real trendsetters like Aziz putting up sketch videos. And I was like, I always wanted to do sketch videos. But like a lot of people in this business was waiting for someone to ask me to be in their sketch video. Yeah. And I was like, fuck that. So I started writing because Aziz said fuck that first. I was just copying him. 
So then I started writing sketches. Then I started trying to find directors. Then I finally found Oren Brimmer, who is a genius and can do everything I ever asked him to do. And next thing we know, we're making these videos, and the videos help you get out there a little bit more and build a little fan base and start making the Batman videos. Now you're making like huge viral hits and stuff. And the next thing you know, uh, if you're out for a writing job, which I was, you send the videos ahead of time. You want to see what his writing is? This is it, and that's him. He's in the video, and he wrote that sketch. Uh, so you have this writing, you have a living writing example as opposed to just another stack of 35 pages with those gold button things, like keeping yeah. it together. So in a weird way, you were an outlier. Well, I, I like that book and I, I do see Malcolm Gladwell's understanding of time and place and like when that's why I said when I started getting decently funny was also when these these technologies started to become much more commonplace. I was four years ahead of you. Yeah, and that did that was not a that was there was no, there was no fucking, we, everyone was everyone was still shooting shooting on film. There was no opportunity to just create something, and no right. one was young making stuff. I started with the I started literally with Dimitri the day Dimitri started. Wow, and uh, and we started together, hit the clubs together, fucking <coughs> really good friends. Went to his wedding, uh, was there when he got divorced, and uh, and but Dimitri was. The thing I learned from Dimitri, and I, to this day, I, I, we don't talk only because we just they're very different lives. Right. It's not that but you like, don't talk. Yeah, no, we yeah, just yeah. don't talk. If we saw each other, we'd catch up. But he uh, was extremely pivotal and inspirational in – Jeremy Pivotal. In the fact that I was like – the way he worked. He just got up every morning, 10 ideas for a fucking – for a board game, 10 oh, ideas yeah. for a joke. 10 he also ideas had that thing where he was like, shirts. I do everything for an hour. Yeah. So he's like, if you're writing jokes, you have to do it for an hour. And if you go into the second hour, you have to finish the hour. You have to go another hour. You can't go an hour in 10 minutes. You have to go an hour. You have to go two hours. It has to be on the hour. But I was different than, say, him and Aziz, who are that that brain of like, I was like, I was like, no, no, no. No, You're you're an X Factor guy. You're a charisma guy. So am I. Faces and noises. I'm not putting us down. I I love faces and noises. I, I would jingle keys for the audience if I thought it would do it for them. And uh, I no, think but, I actually. But we're there for the comic comedy all day long. Yeah. I'm there for the comedy all day long. When I said something like, when I said to you at the beginning, like, your comedy brain is on, that means we're fire. I, I call it fire and hot. We're, <laughs> we're like, I, I, I've stopped production for a, a period of time so I could do my hour. Yeah. And so I'm just doing stand up and, uh, and I'm, I'm firing fucking hot. If you put me on stage, I am in that yes. area which which when you're making television when you're making your tv show you were making your tv show and you're, right. you're 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 busied by so many other i wasn't going up at night it, well, it, well it, you can't you literally can't yeah because you're busied by like like just simple like wardrobe decisions or yeah. or like or 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 uh hey can you get we want to get bill on the show can you reach out to him he's not responding or right. and then like all these fucking things that are in your head and i believe like right now you're in I feel like I, I feel like you must be going into production mode. We're about to, yeah, for sure. I, I'm trying to see if I can take my special before we're shooting, though, because like I, I said, would it would that. I would do that. It would just take it would just take three weekends in a row of yeah. of doing our Friday Saturday shows, and then I could tape it. Here's what I want to say, though. Going back to who we are, who we think we are, who we figure ourselves out to be, there's Dimitri's and there's Aziz's and there's that. You, you called them cerebral. I would agree with that. And then there's big dumb animals like you and I. I remember my first writing job. I told the showrunner, I'm a big dumb animal. And I, I, that really helped 
sell me because I was like, I'm not a, a Harvard egghead. I'm not the sniper who sits quietly and delivers the perfect story twist after yeah. an hour and a half of silence. I'm the, I'm the Gatling gun, and you can tell me to be quiet, or you can let me keep firing out jokes. But I am a big dumb animal. You're the so, Gatling gun slash muse, because I believe that people like us, when we hang out with those cerebral we people, inspire people, we inspire them. I completely agree. I 100% There's agree. some good self-love. I like that. Let's I'm, get more I'm of that. I'm a big self-lover today. But here you are picking, when you play a video game, uh, I don't even have one in mind, but typically you have to pick like there's the, you know, the different archetypes. Yeah. So you can be, you figured out that you're the big dumb animal yeah. or whatever we want to call ourselves. And then we can be that. And I'm a big believer in, I don't copy other people's methods. I have this, I have this healthy ego where I'm like, motherfucker, you should study my methods. Like, because I produce, I produce and I make stand up. where I'm just talking about stand up really. So there was a time, there's a book called Morning, Morning Rituals or something. Yep, I read it. Yeah. Uh, that came out, I want to say it came out in 1997. It's a good book. I enjoy it. Yep. But at a certain point, we need to come to peace with, and I'm just talking about creativity, which is going to be different for everybody, and that's exactly my, my point here, is that for me, um, having a bottle of wine with lunch is sometimes my method. Because then I'll nap and then I'll wake up and I'll have a movie idea or whatever it is yeah. or playing a video game or watching a movie or fuck, saying fuck off to writing that day, yeah. which is a lot of days because I want to go on a fucking picnic with Val or whatever it is. Whatever I'm doing is the thing because I've you and I, have, you've just become comedy. You're just trying to be comedy. There's so, no fence for me. There's I, no fence. Yeah, yeah. I, and I get that. The difference is I don't know what the difference is. I don't go off and try and if I go to a camping or something, I'm not trying to think of what's funny about camping. Right. When I was doing the talk show, I would have been. In fact, we would go camping just to write a monologue about camping. You know, we would have done yeah. stuff like that. But there, there's something about honoring your method and being like, look, Dimitri can do the hour thing. That's fine. He produces. Are you producing? Are you, you have to have your own sit downs with yourself, with your own inner CEO and yeah. be like, am I delivering as much as I'd like to be delivering and balance that with your quality of life? And sometimes you need to cut back. Sometimes you need to increase. You know what you're capable of, but you also know what it feels like to just be a golem. <laughs> so yeah. you find that balance. But, you know, big dumb animals. I have to think that the more cerebral guys are peering over the fence looking at guys like us, too, and going, he just, he's been drinking. He went up. He's just yelling at the front row. And they are howling at a pitch that nothing I could have written at home would make them howl at that pitch. And that's why it's it's fucking, man. There's a lot of different ways to fuck. Gary Goldman said uh, one time, because, you know, uh, presenta- presentations, we have we have an interesting way to present stuff as a big dumb animal. However, uh, I, I will say we have very, um, we have golden hearts where we don't, we don't, we don't, I'm not, I'm not up there like, that's right. This was wrong with gay people. Like, That's you know, right. like, and so what's frustrating sometimes, Gary Goldman was one that said this to me. I had an in- incident with an alternative comic that didn't want to work with me. And uh, he was upset. And the reason was, ultimately, is that I wasn't doing traditional stand-up in the sense that... Well, I wouldn't want that, to follow you, but why he didn't want to work with you? Oh, he did, Well, that, he didn't want to follow me. That's what it was. He, oh. No, he, no, that, oh, you I, were I think we actually got along fine. He didn't want to... He didn't want to uh, go on after go on after me. Well, that I understand. I yeah. wouldn't go on after you. But he was. It was, uh, and my feelings were really hurt. Like because I liked the guy. I really liked. The guy. I still to this day I respect. I respect Your feelings him. should not be hurt. Oh, they're totally hurt. You, they should absolutely not be hurt. Oh, they're totally hurt. 
Well, if I can help in any way, I'm here to help. <laughs> I appreciate it. That is the least personal thing I've ever heard. As long as if he was middling and was like, I don't want to go on the road with you anymore because I don't respect what you're doing. Go ahead. Have hurt feelings. That's nice. Yeah. But if someone's saying, I don't want to follow a guy who goes into the crowd, who talks about his day, who drinks, who's silly, who's slappy. Motherfucker, I... I feel like I'm very good at stand-up. I would never bring you out with me. I would never bring a guy like you out with me. And if you were opening for me, I would tell you dispassionately and with no hate in my heart, do your act. Get them listening to jokes because I can't follow that. The headliner is a privileged position. He gets the big piece of chicken and everybody's supposed to kind of – set the stage for him so my openers are always joke tellers really? they're always they don't riff a lot they don't riff at all brent james sullivan is opening for me and every time he, he does a set he does his set and i go i sit in the crowd and i'm like boy, that's what i like i want a joke teller so yeah. i can have first crack at the goofy mural i can oh, have okay. first crack at the weird table in the front with the guy that's falling asleep i want that that's my chicken uh, so you shouldn't take that personally at all. I took it personally, but I, that was at a time when, when you went on the road, they paired you with the strongest guy they could find. You, they, uh, the, I mean, and, and it's, it, is, it is sometimes it's tough for me because I always assume I always assume we started at the same time, although I am older than you. Mm-hmm. I just assume we – like because you knew Big J, and like I was barking when Big J first showed up in New York. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's when – like him and Kurt – I met those were my those were my friends, but they weren't my friends because they were getting sets. They were my friends because they were hanging out at the club, and I liked them. Yeah, you know, like they weren't like I didn't, and I saw them do stand up, and I thought they were talented, but it wasn't like they were like my peers where we were like we were hitting the clubs together. I was working the door; they'd come and hang out and try to get on, but I just liked them. I yeah. really liked them. Um, but but I when I did the road, and I don't know if you ever did the road in the traditional sense of like, hey, here's twenty five offers from the Funny Bone. Uh, it's thirteen hundred dollars a weekend, uh, but you get an opportunity to get in with the, the franchise. Uh huh. No, I never really did that. Yeah. So that's how that's how like me, Steve Byrne, Ian Bag, like that generation. I, I'd say we're, we were probably sophomores to your freshmen. I'm guessing like we were just a year ahead of you, not that much older. But um, that's how our entry to the business was mm-hmm. was a bunch of David Spade guys. Kind of graduated. I, ju- I just missed that. Yeah, John Roy was the guy in in Chicago that would go out and work the Funny Bones and stuff. Okay, and then me and Kumail and all these guys, um, my class. Your class is Kyle TJ Kinane, Kumail, Kinane. TJ Bronger. Yeah, I always forget some people. There's just so many wonderful ones. But um, for us, or I'll just speak for myself. But I think it's true for a lot of these guys. I do that all the time. I speak for everyone, and then I go, I shouldn't do that. You can borrow that phrase. I'll just go. I'll just speak for myself. But you're still planting in their mind that it might be true for these other people. Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> Keep going. Is that I would open for people on a on an ask basis, meaning I'd work a funny bone, but it's because Jim Gaffigan would be there, and last time he was in town, I opened for him, and he liked me. So then I'd 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 go on the road very rarely, okay. but it was just enough. That's a Brian Regan thing. He would go on the road to make sure he was just accessible. And he'd hone his act in New York. He'd write his act in New York. He'd try it in fucking Florida or whatever. I stopped. I stopped doing sets in L.A. for a long time just because I was I had a family and it's it's very difficult to uh, do both. Yeah. And then, but then recently I started doing sets in L.A. and I realized just how valuable it is to do the draft house or like some some like just place where it's it lives literally a mic, no beers, and just folding chairs. Mm. And and you go, oh fuck, like. 
So maybe I am getting by on that open neck like love on the road. Open neck love. And, and but maybe I'm not you're so good at that by the way. You're so good at coining terms. <laughs> oh, that, you just turned it into a drum. That was nice. No, 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 but I stole it from you. The uh <laughs> but like but it's great doing sets in the city and then going on the road and figuring out how to make it accessible to everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's the, the real the real skill, you know, if we just perform for our fans and this is Tom Segura and I go back and forth on this all the time. You're not Tom Segura? I know. He's I thought you were Tom Segura this whole time. Fatter than me. Uh, he is obesely overweight. Like that's obese. Great. Didn't he did he gain weight? He looks like it, right? I, the only reason I say that was because I was trying to reverse engineer the comment that now that he's doing well, I feel like he's doing well. He's doing better than anyone I know. Is he really? <sighs> is he really doing really well? I just assume he's doing well. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I will not talk I- about him because it'll. It, I don't know if you're like me. I don't know if you're like me. I love this guy. Honestly, like a brother, it depresses me. It'll upset you how good he's doing? Well, I'd be upset too if a guy who looked exactly like me was out there lapping me. <laughs> If there was some so much, jolly, I'm so much stronger than he is. Uh, <laughs> I look like, you, like just every part of my body. I look like the I look like the younger brother in the Fox Catcher who like. Oh yeah, you're... he's just such a. He's so you know he's doing fantastic. And I honestly, we both uh, one of those guys. I think he's probably your age in comedy, a freshman of my sophomore. Mm-hmm. But um, we both worked for Jay Moore for a while. Worked for Jay Moore, uh, and we would trade off. At times, and host and feature together, and uh, and we're really kind of hmm. brothers in arms of the, like just you know sitting in the green room for an hour, and right. we became really close, and then uh, our wives became really close, and then and we've just always been close, and and now he's probably closer than ever because he's going through this real fucking, he would never admit this, but a real change in his career of like, of like, I don't I don't think clubs can fit him anymore, hmm. and, so, and and it's it it is. Uh, and I, you know, and I think he's just kind of trying to figure it out and base himself. So we're literally, we're talking, I, I, we're talking on the phone every day now f- and you can tell it's him going like, Hey man, like, is this normal? Like, yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah. And, and he's so talented. He really is so talented and he's the fucking sweetest guy and he's smart with money. Like there's not one flaw in him other than his obese body that, that fucking, <laughs> it's fucking disgusting. His armpit hair connects with his tit hair. Yikes. Oh, oh. I just pictured it. Yeah, but um, but it was yeah. a Pangea of hair. But uh, I don't know how we got on this. But does the, it really upset you that he's that he's gaining weight to like no, a unhealthy place or something? He makes fun of me on his podcast that I look like Gerard Depardieu, and I'm like, are you? Gerard Depardieu has let himself go pretty bad. Who is that? Who oh, he's like the <laughs> I, all I know is like from is the Alicia Silverstone movie, uh, uh, My Cool Dad or whatever. Like he's just a well. you Google him. He was a very talented actor <laughs> in the eighties, and he's just a mess. And and I I put this thing online about he's just said I look fat, and I and it's so his fans are saying that I look fat, and I'm like fucking he's fatter than I am. It's one yeah. of those things. Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. But I just want to be clear who's yeah, you can be fat, but he's fatter than you are. Definitely fatter than I am. But uh <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's I don't know how we got on this conversation of fucking buns. Uh we were talking about uh I don't remember. Well, what what was it like you and TJ were close or still yeah. are. But what was it like to watch TJ who's literally uh, and I'll I'm going to say blossomed. I wouldn't say blossomed, sprouted and and it's been happening for a long time. Well, TJ's been 
almost exactly the same since I met him. Like he's been a famous person since I met him, since before he had credits. Like, really? He, he's just always been talk about noises and faces. He's just I used to have him in my phone as X Factor. That's just, that was his name in my phone. And uh he's just always been very larger than life. He's he's come into this whole um kind of interesting and lovely absurdist and nihilist. He's very he thinks life is like a joke and, and everything is just a game. And uh, so he's a, literally larger than life. He's yeah. like standing outside of life and going like, look at what you think is important, like these awards or this this job or whatever it is. So he's a very mischievous kind of rascally energy and very fun. TJ is a, a sweet, sweet dear friend. His and I relationship is um, kind of like you're saying those people, those touchstones that you call. Uh, I remember calling him at different points in my career. Should I do this or should I do that? And he was always for somebody that kind of seems and sometimes gets accused of being a little bit, I don't know if it's sociopathic or, or seem like he's all about himself. I've never met anyone more empathetic or will remember your plight. Like you did my podcast all those years ago or a couple of years ago. He would remember, he would, he would ask follow-ups about what you were worried about then. And TJ takes on other people's excitement and other people's pain way better than anybody I know, better than me for sure. Like he's just good at that. What is that like? What does that feel like? And, and he feels it as well. So he's kind of doing an interesting dance. On one hand, he sees everything as a joke. And on the other hand, he's just completely all in. Um, I'll give you an example. When I told him the idea for my show, the uh, crashing, the show we're doing at HBO, he was so encouraging and so excited about it and so certain that it was the right idea that he started pitching it to networks when he was in pitches for himself. So he'd pitch his show and then say, and just so you know, and he'd just pitch it in like a couple sentences, like Pete Holmes is going out. You have to meet with this guy, the idea and then blah, blah, blah. He'd say the idea. And so he was just kind of – I don't know if that had anything to do with it getting picked up or not. I, I'm guessing it, it didn't. But it was just this positivity and this shared enthusiasm. He, he's, a, he's a better friend than I am <laughs> to him. Like he's yeah. good at um, staying on top of what you're doing. And, but it's interesting. He, he's a type of energy that like um, – there's just certain friends that you want to see at certain times, certain feelings. And TJ is a friend that I, even though I only talk to him maybe once a month, I still feel very, very close to him because he is such a tornado, such a huge person. And even though I'm working on it, I I have not given up on this. I can be, I I startle easily sometimes. Um, That doesn't seem like who I am, but there's parts of me that I'm just like, I don't, I don't want any trouble. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, we shouldn't go to that because it's loud. And what are we going to, people are drunk driving tonight. I don't know. So like I have that and TJ is like, yeah, just like fearless and in it really, really, really fearless. Yeah. A very without fear person. And uh, that can be um, too much for the scared part of me to handle. So I don't necessarily call him every weekend to see what he's up to. Yeah. But when I see him, we uh, we always pick right up where we left off. And I think we have a very uh, loving and true and evolving relationship. Like it's interesting to see the further into um, Eastern mysticism or whatever it is I'm interested in, how we end up meeting somewhere. He's in this like Nietzschean 
uh, existential kind of meaningless vibe. And then I'll meet him with some sort of Buddhist appreciation, worshiping of the void. And like I said to him recently, I was like, TJ, you believe in God. Your God is the void. <laughs> like that's yeah. fine. You're, the no God, God is 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 still what I would consider a God because it's this uh, object of your of your interest and your attention and your affection. So it's still what I kind of consider a non traditional deity is the great endless nothing. You know, so it's interesting to see how Buddhism will meet TJ or or his his deep Nietzschean anti established religion thing will deeply resonate with me. So I'm like, this is weird. I've always been like, oh, it's like I'm Batman and you're the Joker and we, we hang out and fucking smoke weed and <laughs> and yeah. get drunk. And and I mean, he's just a great cage rattler and, and a very wonderful presence. You guys never, uh, you, I, I felt this outside perspective, but I never felt that you, uh, Kumail, yep. um, uh, Kyle, uh, TJ, I th- I felt like you guys showed up to LA with very open hearts, hmm. and I and I st- and, I, and 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 uh, I would say I'm I've, I've had both Kyle and Ku- and Kumail on the podcast, uh, and I only have had and I know TJ obviously just through the business, but I had a, we had a run in. Me and Ari had a, a run in with TJ. I think you talked about it on your podcast one time about where TJ was tweeting about Dane, and then yeah. Ari and I went on. Um, the ice house chronicles and kind of was like, Hey, you're not supposed to do that. I wasn't cool or whatever we said but without, without realizing, I think the magnitude of who we were saying it to, mm. not knowing that, Oh, you know, we actually really like TJ a lot and maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't do exactly what we're shitting on him about doing to him. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should realize he's a fucking guy sitting on the road. And I heard you guys on the podcast and he was on the road and he was just like, heard us shitting on him and it hurt his heart. And I was yeah. like, and I, and I remember calling Ari being like, that's not what we were, I meant to do at all. And he was like, he was like, oh, just call TJ. He's a cool guy. And I was like, and I think I called him and I was literally standing right outside this thing. When I talk on to the phone, I'll talk on the phone with people. Sometimes I'll pace, uh, just like, I'll just pace on the, on the, uh, the pavers, the outside pavers. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to TJ and he was just like, it was like, it was a moment where I went, oh, this guy is just like me. There's no hatred. There's no fucking, he's not what those tweets were. He's not what, he's just a really heartfelt guy. It was like, yeah, man, I, he was like, I liked you. I'm so like, it bummed me out when I heard you saying those negative things. And I was like, I didn't mean to say those. Like, I, I don't know. And he was like, why? Like it was, and I really kind of walked away from that. And I was like, I'm glad I had that conversation with him because if you put up those barriers where you're like, we start going, fuck that guy, fuck that guy, as opposed to like, Ari is a very sweet man. Mm-hmm. And when Ari's like, no, you need to call him and tell him you feel that way because he's the greatest guy, Bert. And I was like, I know, but I don't want him to hate me. When you put up those barriers in this business, you're really just shutting yourself in. Yeah. You're not allowing yourself to find really cool people, you know, like Kumail. Mm-hmm. Kumail and I are, are probably polar opposite kind of dudes. But we hung out in the man cave, and I was fucking fascinated by that guy. Yeah. And now in a weird way, every time I've – it's the greatest thing about my podcast for me, not for anyone else, is that I get to hang out with people I like. And, mm-hmm. I, and I get to meet people I don't know all that well so that when I see them the next time, we can just pick up and start chatting. I give people that advice all the time. I'm like, find an excuse for sitting down with someone they, somebody that you love for an hour. And even if it wasn't recorded or something, if you were just like – I'm just doing this weird thing where once a month I ask someone I admire to have coffee with me for one hour. Yeah. Would that be something you're interested in? <laughs> like just find It's what Chris Rock did before his special. He started going these Sunday morning uh, evenings at uh, 
at Cornell Wallace. Is it Cornell Wallace? Is that the black dude with the afro with the scarf on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cornell, he, started, he invited him. I can't say this is certain, but I'm just telling you what I think I know. He invited Chris other. Rock to these Sunday evening conversations that he'd have with friends. And he said, come hang out. And Chris Rock just hang out, hung out with the most brilliant people on the planet. Uh, and I think that's what Joe's doing with his podcast is he's just hanging out with the fucking smartest guys on the planet. Yeah. And he's accruing all – when you watch Joe do stand-up right now, it is destructive in fucking nine ways from Sunday. They do this thing. I'm, you'd be amazing at it. It's uh, – Jeremiah Watkins does a new uh, – a brand-new stand-up show. So, like, you – no material. The crowd throws out things. It's like set list, but it's more interactive. And I we did it the other night, and I watched Joe annihilate a room with brand-new stuff. Just mm-hmm. brand-new stuff. Just – all over the map because he's hung out with fucking scientists. It's what you're doing with your podcast. Did you, when your show got canceled, did you say to yourself, because I feel like you might have, but I don't know if I'm putting that, those words in your mouth. Did you say to yourself, I got here because of my podcast. I'm, um, cause it seemed like the second your show was canceled, your podcast took off. Hmm. Like it seemed like you were doing a podcast and it was great. It was very entertaining. But the second your show disappeared, I started like going, motherfucker, man, this podcast is next level. Mm. You were in the top 10 podcasts every week, Mm. every week. And I don't follow that shit. I only know because you click on it to get your podcast. And I was like, wow, Pete's back. Mm. Holy shit, Pete's back. Mm. And you had like legit and and you really kind of opened your heart to new ideas or new philosophies of life Mm. is do Am I putting those words in your mouth, or do you uh, feel like you, you might be adding a story to it that isn't there? I don't know, um, because I don't remember a shift necessarily when the when the show got canceled. I do remember being very grateful and proud that we never missed an episode. That was not easy to do. I do that. I, I miss I miss months. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it's it's detrimental to a podcast. We but. should study your method, not mine, because <laughs> you produce. See, we're helping you love yourself. Thanks, <laughs> um, but no, I I was, and I'm entering that similar challenge where I'm like, I really have to try and uh, bank episodes and stay ahead. But you know, it, what I'm taking from what you said is. If there is anything to be learned from that, it, it's it, it's great in life to have as many things as you can that no one can take from you. For me, it'd be stand up. That this is the John Stewart effect. Daily Show goes away. He he starts touring. You know, he can do whatever he wants. He can go to the cellar and crush and and get that need met mm-hmm. and that the need of the audience to see him met all that sort of stuff. So there's stand up, and then there was the podcast. And I was kind of like, and I still feel this way. I really think uh, this HBO show is going to be something as important to me as the podcast. But so that withstanding the podcast is far and away the most important and vital work or whatever you want to say that I've done. And because it's the, it's the full thing. It's not just silly Pete. Sometimes it's grumpy Pete. Sometimes it's philosophical Pete. It's all the different Pete's. And when you get into it, it's, it's great. I'm glad you said that because that is, it is all the Pete's. Yeah. Like I've heard you go in with an attitude. Yeah. And I literally was, and there's been podcasts where I didn't like you. Yeah. And then the the next one I go, yeah. Oh, that must've been yesterday. Good. That's, I mean, that's what it is. That's what, what putting yourself out there is supposed to be. That's what intimacy is. I'm sure your wife has days where she doesn't quote unquote like you or whatever. Yeah. And that, and I'm sure, um, seeing all the different sides of somebody you can be like I, I like this better than this but it's still the same person and, and if there's anything that i'd like to there's a lot of things i'd like to break down but one of them is the certainty we have on who we are 
And it's just like, I, I say this all the time on the podcast, our personalities and our understanding of, of our, our ego and our personality, I don't have another word for personality, is like building a sandcastle underwater. Every time a wave comes, it just kind of blows away. So when people are so certain, this is, I, I kind of hate clan thinking. I, I, I know uh, it looks like you like sports or whatever. One of I the... Oh, okay. What you were in a man cave? I like I like sports as much as regular. I'm not a sports guy though. That's and I, I'm not shitting on yeah. sports guys, no, no, but no, for not, yeah, some yeah. reason, any sort of mass thinking freaks me out. That's sort of like I'm a Rangers fan until I die, yeah. and that's everyone in my family with the Red Sox, the Bruins, and the Patriots. Yeah. I just kind of get freaked out. Like I'm a vegan, and I don't want to be the mouthpiece for veganism, even though. I believe in it. I don't like any... I say I'm a fleegan, which is true. If you get me fucked up, I'll probably eat a quesadilla. You know what I mean? <laughs> so who is a vegan? Do you understand? Which, uh, which Pete was real? Was it drunk Pete? We could say in Vino Veritas, that's the more real Pete who doesn't give a shit and he's eating a quesadilla. Or is it this Pete who's only had green juice today and is buzzing pretty hard right now? And I love that. It's the same motherfucker. So who are we going? That's why I don't like politics. I don't like anything where it's like, draw the line. I'm on this side and I've been on that side the whole time. It's like, that's not what life looks like to me. It's a mess. It's a mess. And showbiz could be... An amazing place to stretch our legs and to let everything out and show and explore and appreciate. Even when I say I agree with you that there are episodes where I don't like me. I don't like me. I don't agree with me. I handled that wrong. I was grumpy. So who is judging that? Which one is Pete? Me sitting here going, I don't like that guy. Let's let go of this feeling of dominion we have over our emotions, our senses, and our thoughts and let go a little bit and be in the flow and be in the moment and admit that every interaction, every meal, every podcast, every exchange with a cashier is an opportunity for me to poke and poke and prod and explore who I am, who they are, and what this is. But fucking every time you nail things down, it's fucking bullshit. I, I hope to God people are listening like listening to what you say and then rewinding it and listening again because it's a, that that was a prophetic statement. My best, my best, one of my best friends has passed away. Uh, his name is Croy, and we were watching a Janine Garofalo special, and she was railing about politics, mm. and I was giggling. I love Janine. I think she's so brilliant. And he couldn't enjoy it, and he said, "I said, what? What do you not like about it?" And he goes, "How can you?" How can you nail down your thoughts like that? Like, mm. what if you change? Then mm. you got this thing where you go, I am this. Yeah. I am that. And I was like, well, it's just a joke. And he goes, no, no, I'm seeing it differently. You got to always be flowing. And, and, and what you said is like every action, interaction you have with a cashier. It's so interesting you say that because I look at my interactions with people and I, and I use them as practice to be a better person. Mm. As a practice to go like treat everyone amazingly. Treat everyone like, hey, man, like – like, how are you doing today? Oh, crazy. Like, really be fun. Really be in the moment. And when you are shitty, I look back and I, I don't go like, well, that guy deserved it. I go, oh, man, I was being shitty that day. That's right. Like, And that's okay, too. Yeah, and that's okay, too. I, I, I think that uh, happens. Uh, Liz Gilbert, the Eat, Pray, Love author, yeah. she did my podcast and we recorded at 6 o'clock and I always record in the morning. And it was just a big exploration of like, sorry, you got 6 o'clock, Pete. Like, she, we were talking about meditation and clearing your mind and this guy this i meditate 
I do. And this, <laughs> I say with reluctance, I do. But again, I don't want to be the mouthpiece for meditation. But um, this Irish guy was at the ashram, this temple in India with Liz. And he he was very excited to take what he learned back to his father in Ireland. Yeah. So he goes back to his father and the dad is smoking his pipe, looking at the fire. And the, dad, and the kid is like, Dad, I got to tell you about meditation. I really want to teach you what I've learned. And he goes, why, son? Right? She did the voice. And he goes, well, it calms your mind. And the dad goes, I've already got a calm mind. Okay. Noon Pete thinks that's a touching story. Okay? That's great. The dad was already living the practice. Six o'clock, Pete, you can go back and listen to this. My response was, get the fuck out of my face. I said jokingly, but meaning it. I said, get the fuck out of my face. I know stubborn. I come from stubborn, ignorant, sorry, but some of my family was Irish people. Do you understand? And if you want to tell me that some guy, because he sits quietly in a chair smoking a pipe, staring at a fire, is as calm as the discipline and the work you actually do to rein in your mind and get it to stop thinking, which is what meditation is really about. Six o'clock, Pete doesn't buy that shit for a nickel. Do you understand? So... Who, which one, if we had recorded that podcast at 11 a.m., I'm tearing up and I'm like, that's gorgeous. Some people don't need it. And I do believe that. But I also don't buy that anecdote as like, that guy is sitting there just like my father, just like my uncle, just like my grandfather. And they're drinking and they're looking at the fire and they're worrying about tomorrow. They're replaying today. They're thinking about dinner. You know what I mean? There's a big difference between... Somebody that does like intense practice, meditation practice, yoga practice or whatever, and somebody who's capable of not looking at a TV you yeah. know, <laughs> for yeah. an hour. So, but which is it? I, I see both sides of it. And I think there's something lovely in saying, which Pete? And when we say, I need a girlfriend, which Pete needs a girlfriend? Lonely Pete? Horny Pete? Yeah, they want a girlfriend. This is when I didn't have a girlfriend. Did you want a girlfriend when you didn't have a girlfriend? <clears throat> well, I used to remember thinking that. I was like, I think I want a girlfriend. I was like, well, which Pete? You need to have a council of the Petes. Get them all in a room. Horny Pete, he's screaming we need a girlfriend because we need uh, sex regularly. Lonely Pete is like, please, I want to watch a movie with a, with a girl with a, that energy. I love a female energy. I want that nurturing and that kindness that tends to be in the women that I'm attracted to. Uh, and, then, and then there's the other Pete's. Uh, there's a part of my ego that I call plain view because it's just, it's just pure ego. It's pure competition. It's from there will be blood. It's just like I keep him... I feed him as little as he as I can because I don't want him taking over. Oh, I never see you as that guy. Do you see? Do you? Do you like I used to in when I my most I wouldn't say competitive. I would say jealous. But my most jealous I ever was was right when web start, start website started coming out, and I would Google other people's websites, Bobby Kelly Live, check their and check their tour dates. And be like, I know. how are they doing that? That's and, your... be, and it would beat me up. My thing wasn't that I was jealous of, and I can say this because he's my friend, but Steve Byrne, because he was touring nonstop, or Tosh, who was touring nonstop. I was more just self-destructive of like, that's because you're not worth anything, Bert. Mm. That's because you're well, that's another That's another Pete in there. That's another the self-hating Pete. Yeah. I, I feed him even less. <laughs> I feed the destructive part of myself a lot. Well, the destructive part of yourself is, is just trying to protect yourself, too. You know what I mean? Getting ready to tell you all the shit that they're going to say about you so you're not surprised. He thinks he's helping. Uh, we were talking. I was talking to my therapist about it. And he's like, uh, my dad started the process. My dad started the process when I was young, and I played baseball. And the first year, we won the championship. And I, in the winning game, I caught a hot fly ball, and I spiked it, and I did a dance. And my dad 
pulled me aside. He's like, you don't fucking do that. And then that next year we started baseball, and someone said to me, hey, uh, congratulations on winning the championship this year, last year. And I said, my response was, well, probably do it again this year. And my dad pulled me aside again. He was like, hey, cut that shit out. And from that moment in my life, and that moment is the moment we've pinpointed, I never looked at myself as an all-star. I looked at myself as someone who was lucky to be there. Mm. And I, and and because my dad was pragmatic. He never said to me, uh, growing up, he was never like, I mean, I played with guys that went pro playing baseball, and he never was like, you know, buddy, if you work hard enough, that could be you. He was like, no, 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 they've got a natural gift. Mm. And so so when I look at comics, and there are a lot of them uh, on, on Sunset that really believe that they're uh, gifted, mm-hmm. I go, oh, like, like my brain will say one of two things. Uh, you're delusional. Like, you have no idea what gifted is. Like, Bill Burr doesn't sit there and go, I'm the fucking best. He doesn't. No. At all. And I and and I know that Bill doesn't do that, so my brain goes, Burr, if you want to be the best, you better fucking believe you're a piece of shit. So, like, I end up telling myself what a, what a horrible comic I am so that I work harder. And I never walk away from a set going, I was just the best in the room. I always go, I could have done better. But I look at these guys who, like, fucking lit that room on fire. And you're like... What fight did you watch? Follow that. Yeah. Um, it's all a balance. You know, of course. I, th- yeah. I think you know that before I even say it. But I think there's something not nearly as toxic hiding for you in uh, affirming yourself and allowing the plain view to come out. When I crush a room, uh, it's okay to come off. Valerie sees this all the time. She's al- almost always the first person I see when I get off. And I, I kiss her, and especially if it's bad, I'll say something like, I was way better than them. You know what I mean? And that's just like pure swing and dick shit. Yeah. Or like, you know, I'm trying to think of what I actually think. It's usually in the ballpark of like, I'm very good at this. Like, I, it's not a mistake. I'm, I'm not very, doing, I'm, I agree with you. I am very good at stand up comedy. And nobody's doing you any favors. This is what I actually work on in my therapy as well, because there's an appropriate. You know what's weird about your dad's stories is I understand what he's saying. And I could see myself saying to my son, um, maybe don't say, we're probably going to do it again this year. That's an okay feeling to have. And you can say that to me and you can say that to your mom and your teammates or whatever. But when there's something that I learned for better or worse, and maybe I need to get rid of this altogether, but I like, I think there's value in being liked, being polite, being civil. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think what, that's what I hear your dad doing in that moment. So yeah. I could see myself saying, don't say that. Don't spike the ball. Don't spike the ball. Don't it, do the dance. Don't it's, it, I hate the word class. Cause it sounds like that is not classy, but for lack, I don't have another word. There's something about, feeling the plain view. Okay. The first time I did the cellar, right? One of the best nights of my life. I loved it so much. And I really think there's something so valuable in movies because, uh, I, I was, uh, Judd is insatiable and he's a stand up at heart and he, he loves the pure raw cut of cocaine of doing stand up. He loves the purity of that. And it's funny because his career kind of got interrupted by becoming a huge film writer director, you know what I mean? Um, but it, kind of in his bones, and I don't want to speak for him, but I've seen it demonstrated. He loves comedy. He loves the craft. So I knew we're in New York. We're going to be in New York for three months <clears throat> or two, three months. Yeah. And he's going to go up at the cellar. I just know he is. I've always been terrified of the cellar. 
Really? Oh, yeah. I used to hand out flyers for the Boston on the corner of uh, West 3rd and McDougal, right by it. Do you remember the address? Well, it, there was no address. It's just a corner building no. there. Oh, no. The Boston? 103. 86 oh, West 3rd. 86 West 3rd. Yeah, I'm, up, I'm answering the phone. I'm almost certain. Answering the phone. I've been saying it on I stage it was lately. 103. It might be. It's probably on the flyer up there. It doesn't matter. It's good stuff. But it, in between Sullivan or uh, in Sullivan between, and uh, Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know that. God so damn. I was hanging out the flyers and all that. And I would look at the seller and literally like a movie, I'd see Dove David offer something, go down the stairs and I'd say out loud, someday. Like I'd say someday. So this is kind of an interesting thing, kind of in everything we're talking about, I hope, is the idea that I had been on TV every night with the talk show for 80 episodes. That's a lot of episodes. I had had Fucking a lot. hour special. I had uh, all these little notches on my belt. Didn't matter. Still terrified of the seller. <laughs> yeah. The guy's there. I don't want to follow Chris Rock. I don't want to this, that, the other. I don't want to get bumped by Seinfeld. There was just a lot of looks like the sweaty comedy cave and there's bloody bones on the ground and the 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 uh, the lore of Esty and you know how is it booked and if she likes you and someone's got to recommend you and are you passed to the seller that's huge and all that stuff so I was still scared and I knew Judd was going to want to go there and I knew Judd would want me to come too and I knew I would have to make a choice like I used to tell people I was like I'll go but I'm not I'm not going to go up that's what I would say which is strange right this I'll- is this is one of the most meaningful conversations I've ever had on my podcast <laughs> because I, I know what you're saying and I feel what you're saying. Yeah. And these are real. Anyone who it, it have never, has never done stand-up, try to apply it in your life for whatever this is Yeah, because I felt this way too. I was so scared. Yeah. Um, then Jed was going to be there and he kept kind of not hounding me, but he, he would text me or something and be like, are you sure you don't, you don't want to – I can put a word in with Esty or whatever – uh, you can go up and it'd be fun. Let's just do it. Because Jed had that casualty, the the appropriate kind of – I remember asking Aziz about the seller and he went, it's just jokes in front of people, man. It's just jokes in front of people. But I didn't believe him. I was like, no, man, that's like a cathedral. I don't belong in there. Talk about – there's some Bert feelings. There's some self-hating Pete feelings. I was like, you don't belong in there. They're going to know you're a fraud. You can't deliver. It's going to be horrible. And it's this tiny little boxing gym rooms, tiny. And it's, it's real rubber meet the road, Shed. And mm-hmm. Attell just did 20 and crushed. And now you have to go up, right? Let's see how, how well your essence shines through. Let's see how funny it is when you speak from your heart on this stage, you yeah. fucking idiot. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, so then I literally watched the movie. Have you seen Man on Wire? Uh, no, it gave me anxiety. Ah, I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. So anytime I see that, my hands start sweating. I get it. Yeah. You know, yeah, maybe it's not for you. Um, I'm th- th- but I'm also <laughs> thinking of the documentary. Yeah. The documentary I watched and it gave it made my hands sweat. Well, the, I, I didn't see the Joseph Gordon-Levitt one. That one seemed to be more like playing with the we're going to show you a swooping overhead shot to make you yeah. afraid. You yeah. Know? I, <laughs> I love that documentary. And this is when I was like, no, movies and stories are important. Yeah. And this is so silly, but you understand how daunting the seller seemed to me. And then I watched Man on Wire for no reason. It was in my queue or something. And I, was, I asked Valerie if she had ever seen it. She hadn't seen it. So we watched it. And literally, that's a story about a guy who wanted to walk on a tightrope between the two towers, um, you know, obviously, when they were still there. So it's an unbelievable story. And he does it. So after that movie, I'm literally so inspired by the idea of a guy facing his fear, 
mm-hmm. risking his life for his art. And I was like, what the fuck is my problem? I can't go up in a tiny room and do stand-up? Yeah. Of course I can. So I called Judd or texted him. I was like, let's do it. Let's do it Wednesday. Went up. Now, I'm going to stop you so I want, so people understand the gravitas of this moment. Sure. Me and you grew up doing stand-up around the corner from the cellar yeah. at the place that was lesser than the stellar, cellar. Of course. It was more the hood cellar. Right. It was the more. It wasn't even that. It, I, it was less. I, I hear what you're saying, but it was just like, it was so inconsequential that they didn't care if the guys that worked the cellar did the Boston. Yes. And if it had been anything, they wouldn't have let them do it. But yes. because it wasn't shit, they didn't care that Bill went up and performed for 15 people to warm up for a set in front of 150. And to put that in perspective, we were the guys that worked the door. That's right. So, so the guys that were w- looking at us at that time, we were, we were, our egos were in question because of that – Yet the, we were the guys who worked the door, and this was the fucking marquee club. That's right. And you've made it. At this point, you've done 80 episodes of a, t- of a TV show. Right. You've, you have made this, it. This was a weird moment. I was up at the bar in the cellar, and I saw Conan was on, which means they had Conan on every night, which means I was on the TV every night in the cellar by the back table. Yeah. I'm like, that's insane. But then this is where we're going. Which Pete are we going to listen to? Which Pete do we think we are? This goes back to Bargatze going down the stairs. This is my going down the stairs into the seller story because I think I don't belong. I think I'm less than. I think they're looking at me as a fraud. This is all just a story I'm telling myself based on nothing. And I actually had quite a bit to back up the claim that I wasn't those things, but I still didn't believe it. Yeah. Then uh, I went up uh, and uh, it was just amazing. It, they, it was happened to be a great, It was I think it was a Wednesday and since I've done it many, many times since then, I know that it was like a especially good Wednesday. I went up and God, that was paint on my face. Judd was like, oh, you you went at them hard. Like you did bits that I know you do when you're not fucking around. I wasn't doing the like, hey, let's just play and explore. I went out with a knife between my teeth in a Navy SEAL wetsuit and said, let's dance. <laughs> Pulling back fucking hairlines, showing yeah. the throat. Yeah, that's <laughs> All right, next table. That's exactly right. Oh, that's fucking great. And I got off stage and this is what brought it up. The baseball story and all those like follow that, all of that plain view coming up. So I get off stage. And my plain view meter, my ego, my competitive, I will crush you, my competitive, I look at your tour dates and hate you, my competitive, this guy got that and I deserve that. He's, he's a monster. I love him. He works for me. He's yeah. on the payroll. He's on the payroll. But he's a monster. <laughs> yeah. He's my monster, but he's a monster. But I am open about that. I have a monster in me. Everyone does. But I, I've, I work with him. I negotiate with him and I give him little things like, okay, we'll go up at the cellar if you promise to take a back seat the other, you know, 23 hours of the day. So anyway, I get off stage and I am, I've never done Coke. I've never done hard drugs, really. Uh, Why do I say really? I've I've done mushrooms and weed. That's all I've done. Yeah. So I've gotten off stage and I am just glowing light, but no one knows because I'm not literally glowing light, but inside it's the fucking 4th of July. Like, I feel like, talk about leaving the village, talk about fighting the dragon. This was one of the dragons. And this was a big one. This was one that lived in a cave that I built up to be even worse than I thought. Motherfucker, I've headlined 
technical colleges at noon. You know what I mean? I've done scarier, worse things, but I was so afraid of this place, yeah. a place that everybody thinks is the best room in New York, if not the country. And then I went up and I fucking cut that thing's head off. So I'm buzzing so hard. And then for the rest of the night, and, and Jed and I laughed about this because he knew how I felt because he would feel that way sometimes after he performed at the cellar. You're acting like a normal person. Someone would come up to you and be like, hey, how's it going? You'd be like, oh, pretty good, man. But inside, it's just like, so you're just. Wait, did that song again? So you're, it's like being fucked up or high and you're acting like you're not. <laughs> I will forever hear that song in those moments. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. But you, it's like getting high and then your parents come in or something, so you're acting like you're not high. Because <laughs> oh, I I have feel that feeling sometimes, but you're. And that's the yeah. perfect way. Yeah. How you doing? Pretty good. That's what it feels oh, like. Oh, that's so great. To kill oh, that's doing so stand-up. Great. Yeah. Do you mind if I pee real fast? No, no, go ahead. We can wrap up if you want. It's, we it's don't fun. have to. I just have to pee. Yeah, go pee. Oh, hang on one second. Pete, you know my wife. Don't say anything to her as she walks in and just real quick says what you need to say. Here, grab the mic, honey. What's up? <laughs> I got the mic. Um, so... Squarespace.com, like we were talking about before. Great place. It's a, it's a place where you can build professional-looking sites. I've, I've screwed up. Sorry. Can I start over? Nope. I can't start over? No, just go. Oh, sorry, Pete. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Squarespace.com, where you can start your free trial site today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code BERTCAST to get 10% off your first purchase the sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level there's no coding required they're intuitive and easy to use and uh, you get a free domain domain name if you sign up for a year so pretty cool right awesome that's great squarespace.com squarespace i'm terrible i'm not talking well squarespace build it beautiful (laughs) yeah you monologue i will uh All right, guys, Pete went to pee. I'm going to go get a beer. I cracked a beer. Um, we had, I, I meant to tell you this at the beginning of the podcast. I, we went over to my friend's. It's her birthday party. I fucking dripped through a cigar. I have to tell you my, um, and we'll wrap this up soon no, so, you can, so you can go. I, could, I literally could talk to you for hours. Um, but, I always, uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I was trying to plan the rest of the day, and I was like, let's see, we're recording at 1, so we should be done around 2, I guess. Two thirty, and then she goes, "Is that long enough?" And I go, "Oh, it's not my podcast." And then she goes, "Pete, any podcast you do is two hours." <laughs> like, yeah. Well, me like, and you are the same type of person. Yeah, I know. Love, I love to talk and I love to listen. Yeah, I like talking more probably. Yeah, but, uh, but you ever wonder if you saw your podcast like a graph of how much you talk versus the guest? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh... Cause, cause I Katie does yours, right? <laughs> yeah, I upload mine, so I get to see. I look at it, and I get to see the. You can see there's two different fields, your field and my field. Mm. And I look and I make sure that your field's more than my field because if it's not, my, my fans get fucking pissed. Really? They want to hear you talk. I don't know about that. Uh, I'm certain of it. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you my... I listen to Rogan. I'm not shitting on Rogan, but like I put his on and I was like, I don't know if it's every episode, but he he talks a lot. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's not a criticism, but I think people listen to podcasts... 
be, for the host, not necessarily the guest. His is huge. Yeah. He had Alex Gray on, and if you saw a chart, it would have been at least for the first hour. I didn't listen to the second hour. I thought it was great, but it was a lot of a lot of Joe. I'll tell you who talks a lot on his podcast is Bill Burr. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I have to tell you my I have to tell you my my uh, seller story. Yeah, uh, only because it is the same moment, and I feel like you know it's one of the the reasons I and I I think you are younger than me. I'm 43. How old are you? 36. Yeah, I always felt like uh, I always felt like how um, dare you. I always felt like simpatico <laughs> with you, but in the sense that my first time I did the cellar, I was in to shoot a uh, TV show. I had been on TV for a year and a half. Yeah, I had uh, I had moved to LA. I had been I had had two deals. I was I was successful, and and when if I came back to New York, I could still do Boston whenever I wanted, and I could do anything else. But the store was that, or the the cellar was that thing, mm-hmm. and so I went to the cellar to do a spot. I think I want to say Barry lined it up. And uh, and I was sitting with Mark Marin, and Mark Marin was the sweetest. He was also a vulnerable Marin at the time. Uh, he, I think, he had gone through a divorce, and he was dating me or his wife at the time. Yeah. And uh, and he was doing. I was doing his TV show. It was a show he had called Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Mm-hmm. So I was going to do my first set, and I went up. And I and the the only reason that the everything's inconsequential in this story except for the fact that I told it to a group of guys one time, and I told it exactly like this. And it was it was ruined by it because you remember things so much richer than they actually happen sometimes. Mm. I went down, had a great set. I get done. Manny comes up to me. He's like, he goes, Bert, Bert, you are now past. You are the best. You are amazing. As I say that, Pete Corielli goes, that's a great story, but Manny doesn't have an accent. Uh, <laughs> I, went, I went, are you serious? And I was, he was like, yeah. And I was like, fuck. I so remember Manny being like, like he told me I was past, I could work there. And I was like, it was a moment where you go, I was sitting across from Marin. I was yeah. sitting across from Marin. Manny comes up, sits down. He goes, you're funny. If you want to work, you can work. Uh, Calling your spots to yeah. SD. But I was living in LA. So I was like, Manny, if you had told me this fucking Four months ago, I would have moved back to New York just to work this club. Yeah, but I live in LA now, and I can't. I, I go. This is, <laughs> but this moment is what matters to me. But in my recollection of it, Manny had an accent, and Pete Corielli just goes, "That's great, Bert," but uh, Manny doesn't have an accent, and I was like, "Fuck!" I thought it was even better. Like he caught you like making the story up. Like, yeah, that's no. not true. Oh yeah, well, because he doesn't have an accent. Luckily, it is true. It's like the one of the. the the things there's clubs I've never passed at, and I and I'm not like a regular at. Yeah, and I and you always want that across the board acceptance but i think i'm at the age now where i go you know what it's not about it's not about what other people think about me it's about it's about providing for my family and and being fulfilled creatively yeah and making sure that i come home at the end of every day and go that was fun and you know it's weird though as i you know kind of had that great night at the cellar and i've had softer sets at the cellar since <laughs> like i'm just pointing out that it's not like i'm always destructo i happen to have a really nice debut there um but there's some nights where everybody's just kind of not doing that great and that's yeah. fine i remember thinking what a privilege to be 36 and to still have some dragons it goes back to our original thesis of this entire podcast which is the salad days and the war stories and the struggles and what we've been calling what i've been calling dragons i still have dragons to go and slay and that's a fun feeling after i you know felt accepted and got that affirmation and started working the cellar i got that rush that really isn't 
um, imitatable. You can't really get it from any other thing. And that's why if you're in a position, if someone's listening in that position where they have nothing but dragons, it's almost like, great, you're at the beginning of the game. You're going to start slaying some things. Start with some little ones. Start with your schedule. You slay the dragon that you thought you couldn't just sit down and write every once in a while. That's a little dragon. You changed a habit. Great. Yeah. So, like, instead of looking around and being like, Christ, I'm surrounded, you can go like, it really is like Winston Churchill said in World War II where, you know, the enemies were on every side. He said, what an opportunity. It really is an opportunity to be like, great, let's fuck some shit up because we're running out of them, Bert. I, I don't know. I see, I see dragons everywhere. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I got, no, I saw, I, I'm, I got I'm, some, by too. the way, I'm, I'm, I am nothing. But vulnerable and honest, and you can, and people can take that one of two ways, and you're more than welcome to take whatever I'm about to say, whatever way you want to take it. But the day, and like I said, I don't know how I heard about your um, sitcom, but I heard no, I heard about it in New York, and I was like, oh, that's cool, good for Pete, uh, Judd Apatow. That's that's, a, that's an amazing, it's an amazing pairing, and I and all I thought was, I bet this is going to be really good, and all the guys I like in it, and I still have to ask you. Uh, a question about that sitcom, but I was sitting at this desk and I literally, I think I read that it got picked up and I went and I went and I'm in a deal right now to do, do my own thing. And I thought for the first time, it's, it's like the opportunity where they're like, no, 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 you do it and we'll make it, but you do it. Wow. And I, and I thought, um, and I literally was, I read that and I thought, let this be, let Pete's experience be an inspiration. Let whatever whatever you see of Pete and 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 the opportunities that are now abounding for him, let that inspire you to to want those same opportunities. And I literally sat at that desk and I was like, I was like, don't let this fall by the wayside. And I've, done, I've let that happen a number of times. Hmm. I've been in deals for the past five years or four probably four years in a row where network deal, oh, definite pilot, no, nah, fucking falls apart. Uh, network deal, oh, fucking, eh, well, we're going to pass on the script. Network deal, and, and and every time I've always done the same thing where I just was like, I was this guy that just sat back and let everyone make decisions for me, and I got put into an opportunity where I, someone was like, no, 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 no. I want you, I don't want any pitch, I want you, I want you to write it, and I want you to do it, and that's how it'll be good, just like yours. This is Pete. This is all me. This is unfiltered. This is what you get. And it's because Judd said, no, no, no. This is how good shit happens. And, and, and I literally sat there and I looked at it and I thought, I was, I was sitting at that desk and I went, fucking thank, thank God for two things. Thank God I don't hate Pete. Because if I hated you, I just would have been like, fuck that guy. But like, I was like, thank God I don't hate Pete. And thank God this happened at this moment as I sat there on that desk to write. And I was like, I was like, this is, I just thought of what, a, I thought of what a great day you must be having. My wife calls them, uh, my wife called, I forget my wife's analogy for them, but their day, you've earned it. She goes, you've, like, a day where, uh, Amy Schumer, when her movie Trainwreck came out and it was number one, my wife is, uh, is, Amy used to be a, a very good friend of ours, where we'd let her stay at our house when we were out of town. Wow. And so we know, my wife knows Amy very well, my, my sisters know Amy very well, we've known her for a very long time. Uh, and my wife called me she goes have you heard about amy and i said no i'm gonna get emotional talking about this but she goes have you heard about amy and i said no and she goes oh my god Bert!" And like spewed and uh and uh, I'm gonna, I'm, i might actually cry but i remember where i was driving and, and uh she's like her movie's number one and i got so excited for her mm. my wife was like she earned it she really earned it she earned that she earned this day yeah and it's such a cool feeling 
to earn that feeling, that feeling of da na na na, you to earn it and to say to yourself, <laughs> no no no, that guy deserves to feel like this. They deserve that feeling. And when I thought, I remember sitting there going, God damn it, Pete earned today. I remember, I don't know if you ever, I don't know if, if this is a joke of yours or if this is someone else's that I messed into your act, but you had said like <laughs> that you were, um, that you were sitting on your porch getting to have a cocktail, that you loved your porch, you had a new house or something, and you, I don't know if it was a mint julep or a, like, but you got to have a cocktail on your porch. I don't know where I heard <laughs> you say like this. something I'd say. And, and I, and I, and, and I thought to myself when I read about that, I went, oh, Pete earned whatever drink he's having today. Uh, like, to, to sit and slow down and, and watch the people walk by in front of his house. Like I go, God damn it, Pete earned that. And I, I thought to myself, I want to earn it. Like I want to earn that yeah. day. And it's it, dude, it's the coolest thing about this business. It's the coolest thing about this business if you don't look at, look at it cynically with full of hatred and jealousy is to watch people succeed and go, oh, I'm so proud of them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great – I love that and that's very sweet. And that's a great way to be in this world, not just this business but in this world. And anybody that knows my podcast knows what I'm going to say now, which is that the other way is comedy cancer. And the people that I know <sighs> that read – it kind of – you know, it broke my heart. I haven't talked about this partly because I didn't really want to shine a light on it. But it broke my heart. I – you know – just the other day I was on a friend's Facebook page and I saw some names that I hadn't thought of in a while. Some guys that kind of were in the scene when I was doing stand up in Chicago and I clicked around and really just kind of looking at photos. And I, like the thing that made this really intimate was I knew their acts. Yeah. Like I it's here. It is 10 years later and I can still tell you your act. Yeah. And I still, and I feel like there's, a, there's an assumed love and respect and you don't share that with everybody. And then I went to one of the, this guy in particular's Facebook page, and there was a thread shitting on me and shitting on my show, sh- shitting on me getting this show. And I was like, I've literally, you talk about me meditating. I literally try and think about this person while I'm meditating. And this sounds so, let's just let it sound what it sounds like. I try and love love them and send them love because I know the temptation of the dark side. I really do. Yeah. And there's a power in the dark side. I'm just, I, and not to say the dark side, like they're just being evil. I, I, I don't think they're being evil. I'm just saying they're giving in to that sort of, let's band together and shit on something because we don't like it. And we think this person stinks and they've changed or whatever it was. I, I don't really understand what it was exactly that they hated, but I know the feeling and the call towards Pete gets a show picked up or Amy gets a movie number one or Aziz gets on Parks and Rec and sells out Madison Square Garden or Dane or take your pick. Lots and lots of choices to sit around and smoke the, the stems and the seeds of vitriol, of trying to get high off of shitting on other people. And it'll get you there sometimes. It's a high. I know it's the road rage. I know exactly. Yeah. And I know the pleasure of giving into that. <clears throat> and believe me, I've done that. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't do it on Facebook where somebody uh-huh. I know might have their heart hurt by I'd seeing call that. Tom <laughs> <laughs> but I understand. But the reason I caught comedy cancer is because take take that example out of it, because honestly I don't want to even give that too much credence. But I've seen the people that shit on Aziz. I saw the people that shit on Dane. I saw the people that shit on Amy. 
And for the most part, they're either no longer doing comedy or they're on their way out. And it's not for lack of talent. It's because literally their vision is overtaken with these with cancer, with a bad lens, a bad way to look at it. When you when I hear you, it's very moving to see um, somebody's success and to go there's it, it's like love there's there's enough to go around yeah. look at how many networks there are look at how many opportunities there are fuck networks look at the internet that's what i'm saying yeah i mean like like look at all the networks and then look at all the networks right now that are scrambling to put out good ton- content compared to the internet and what the yeah. internet's doing I mean, we're both obsessed with netflix but just look at what's happening you're right there's more than enough opportunity and there it's growing and it's growing and it's growing and i will attest that Hollywood is Smollywood, and it's crazy that once you're in, like there's going to be work for you. There's going your name is going to be floating around, and you're always it's a it's a big hill to get over. But we need to, you need to trust that you'll get over it and keep working at it and, and make the sacrifices and the moves and the plays that aren't comfortable, but might maybe get you to that next place. Maybe you know what I'm saying. But what's definitely not going to get you to that Judd Apatow. I've spent a lot of hours with that man. He will not talk shit. He's even if it's good, then he's even better than me. Meaning, I'll lightly make fun of something. You know what I mean? If you want to go out, have a few cognacs, yeah, fine. I I I will slum it with you. Yeah. Just a little dip into it. Just a little. Oh, I can dip. find the fucking weakness in everyone, and I can find a jab yeah, about everything, and I can pull apart uh, what I can pull apart just about anything. You know what, Mike Birbiglia and I do is we'll go. What do people say about me? And we do it for each other. And it's fun. It's not a fun game for me. It's, uh, I'd fucking spin out. I understand. You need a special friend that can tell you delicately. But he's like, I forget. Like He was like, you're too loud. Uh, your jokes aren't jokes. You're just kind of selling. The, all this stuff. It was fine. And I was like, people don't think you're a real comic. You're like an NPR guy. You know, like, obviously that's not true. But there are yeah. some people that think, you know, what he does is more like a one-man show heartily disagree mike i love you if you hear this obviously you know that and obviously I'm, we were just spitting Mike's what other people guys were spitting. i'd like to get on this podcast um oh he's great he, he, but only because i i believe that including what i'm doing right now he was the predecessor of that on the road yeah like storytelling like mike, straight legit storytelling mike berbiglia and i'm and i'm not i'm but and by the way i i worked the boston when he first came to new york and started doing sets at the boston and it was not it is it was you know it, it was it was just stand up it wasn't like it was just regular stand up that anyone could have done yeah. but then when he turned that corner and got into hardcore storytelling is when i looked at it and went okay that is a cuz i felt like i was doing what he did at the boston which is just telling anyone jokes anyone could tell and then when he was like, no, I fucking jumped out of a window, I was like, oh, my God, I got crazy stories. That's right. That's and I right. literally look at him in admiration. Him and Chris Titus are the two people that I, I got Titus on that I want to figure out how they write story. <laughs> Titus was fucking amazing. Well, Berbiglia is even doing something, I think, in his most recent shows where it sucks that we can't even – I don't want to talk about Cosby. I really don't. But it sucks that when I say it's a little bit like Cosby from the storytelling into – it's almost there's so much stand-up in there, you forget the stories happening. Like, Mike will do a tight 10. Like, it's crazy. Like, he'll go out and he'll do... It'll be a story, but...
but there's so many setup punchlines in it. I'd pay I'd pay like, cover charge to watch him do 10 happening? minutes. Yeah, he's great. I'd pay a cover charge to watch him do 10 minutes, probably more so than an hour, because I know an hour, hour is going to be amazing, right. but I'd like to see the way he works 10 minutes, because I have a hard time, because I'm like... He opened for Jed at Carnegie Hall, an audience still being seated, and he fucking killed it. It was amazing. And he... It was so kind of like still being sat that he could hear and called out my laugh because I was dying. Yeah. I wasn't trying to support him. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. I was being entertained. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And I certainly wasn't like trying to get called out, even though it was kind of a cool moment at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> a little cool audience moment. I don't know where – oh, comedy cancer will kill you. Judd, I've been at lunches with him or whatever – and I understand how cool that is, by the way. I'm saying it casually, but that's very cool. And I'll, you know, you'll hit a lull. There are other people there. You hit a lull. So you go for the stems and the seeds, and you just bring up somebody. You play a game, like literally, like, who's the most underrated comedian? You say names. Judd says a name. I forget who he said. Um, oh, come on. This is that moment for that person know. to feel great about themselves. Who did he say? Underrated comedian. I don't know. I'm sorry. It uh. must have been unremarkable <laughs> it, because it must have just been somebody where all were kind of like, yeah, that guy's amazing or whatever. Just say Gene Pompa. Gene Pompa. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> you don't know Gene Pompa? No. Oh, he's one of the most underrated comedians ever. <laughs> literally, literally. How perfect. He's so funny. He is so fucking funny. Well, then we said most overrated comedian. This is the type of shit talking that I will occasionally engage in. Oh, yeah. Stems and seats. Who's the most overrated comedian? And I'm not going to say who anybody said either. I'm trying to think who my answer would be. You know, it's it's a safe play to pick somebody that you just don't understand. Like, this isn't who I said, but like a market that you don't understand. Like, what if you said Pablo Francisco, who's kind of big in the Latino community? That's uh, like a, a safe answer. Even yeah, though but I I've think, seen Pablo. I think like, he's fantastic. Yeah, I've seen, I've, I've seen Pablo. I did not his, say Pablo. No, 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 no. I know what you're saying. I'm say, saying. Say a market. Just and be go like, like, you know, it's just not really my thing. Yeah. Like Bruce Bruce. Yeah, pick Bruce, or pick, say Earthquake, and you'll, yeah. be, you'll be playing the game, but kind of on the outskirts. And that's kind of what I did. Judd just didn't, didn't answer. He was like, deal with it. Like, he didn't say deal with it. He just ate his, he ate his omelet. You know what I mean? And that is not a coincidence that I, I've been lucky to have a lot of good mentors. Conan is similar. Conan yeah. will kind of break more balls in a very light, silly way. But they're all these guys. Conan told me this great thing. He goes, showbiz is this huge cacophony of noise. It's just a giant soundscape of everyone yelling and screaming, people singing. Uh, You know, it's a metaphor. I don't literally mean singing, but you know what I mean. They're all making these different noises trying to get attention. And he said, and then there's guys, I think he said like like me, meaning like Conan, that are in the corner just banging on on a triangle. Ding, 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 ding. And they do that as long as for years, ding, ding, not changing it, ding, 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 until finally someone through all the ever-changing sound and mess and color and vibration goes, what is that dinging I always hear? What is, let's go explore that, that consistency, that keep your head down. You're not participating in the vitriol and the shitting on everybody yeah. or the being obsessed with what's owed you or who got what was yours and who took from you. You're just ding, ding. You're doing your duty. You're doing what was imprinted on you, on your brain, on your personality, on your upbringing, 
on your environment, the, the response to all the reactions and choices you've ever made, mm-hmm. do that and keep hitting that and be authentic in that instead of reading news that I got a show and being upset. Yeah. Or Aziz or Dimitri or... You've Pick said Aziz name. so many times. I wish I was familiar with him at all. Well, Aziz is just huge. Aziz, you know, I, you know I don't even know that he's huge. Like I, I he sold I, out Madison Square Garden. Yeah, when you said that, I, I literally was like, he sold out Madison Square Garden like, like quickly. That's yeah. fucking insane. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not familiar with him. His show past. on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, Master of None, has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? No one didn't like it. Hundred percent. It's impossible, Pete. But that's what the, a lot of things have a hundred percent. Oh, oh, not then, a lot of. Well, things. then that's a different story. If a lot of things have 100%, then that makes sense. Oh, I don't mean nobody didn't like it. I've met people that didn't like the oh, yeah, show yeah, yeah, yeah. very much. But they, they all the reviewers skewed positive. Really? That's how Rotten Tomatoes works. I don't know anything about Rotten Tomatoes. As a matter of fact, I always thought – I literally don't know anything about Rotten Tomatoes to the point where I goes, it did this on Rotten Tomatoes. And I always go, is that good or bad? Is 100% on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. Is that a double negative? Yeah, Does yeah, that yeah. Mean like You're 100% Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, like I never understood Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. But, uh, no, over 60 is fresh. I've heard nothing but really great things of Master of None. I'd like to see it. And I've only – and all I've seen of his stand-up out. is him paneling places. And it's always good. Is he wedding places? Paneling. Oh, paneling. Yeah, and I, th- I want to. I was going to compliment Conan in the in that I believe he <laughs> he changed. I love that he didn't go to, and I think what Jimmy Fallon does is amazing, and I, I really is amazing. I don't really want. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I'm not. I'm not sitting here hating Fallon. I no, just, I, I don't really the know. Same way I didn't wasn't hating Aziz. You're yeah. not hating Fallon, right? We're just not familiar with it. I just don't. Want, I don't watch yeah. late night. Yeah. Um, but what Conan did was he brought back. He didn't try to chase. What I'm sure everyone was saying to him, Conan, we need you to do a potato sack race. We need you to do. Oh, he didn't try to chase Fallon. No, he just did his fucking thing, ding, and he brought ding, ding. he brought Bill Burr on, and Bill Burr, and he just said, "Bill, just hang out," and Bill destroyed. Yeah, and literally, I want to say that that helped Bill's career as much as it helped Conan. Like, like I remember watching a list of Bill on Conan in like. Fucking three suits, three different outfits, and it was just everything that came out of Bill's mouth was genius. And Conan just hung out and just yep. ding ding whatever. Yep. And I, I and I was like, I'm so, I'm so happy to see someone doing something his own way, as opposed to, and I'm sh- I'm sure you've been on this, is where your show starts doing less than well, and they're like, well, you know, it's working, and you could be this guy. Could you do like this? And you're like, that's not what I'm doing. Right. It's it's. Uh, I, 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 Conan I knows like, who he is and what he's doing. And there's, there's a real – we love stories and we love shows and movies about people doing what it is they're supposed to be doing and doing it authentically. I think that's just deeply compelling to us. Conan, Conan, was, Conan does that. Conan was, uh, came to the Boston Comedy Club and I was barking. No way. Yep. Came to the Boston Comedy Club during the Toyota Comedy Festival, I want to say, and uh, walked up the stairs and all I knew – and I, I knew he was on TV. And I, all I knew was that – he, I was obsessed with The Simpsons at the time, and he had written my favorite episode. And oh, so no. the second I saw him, I, I knew exactly what to say. I was like, dude, I got to tell you something. I don't watch your TV show, but I love The Simpsons, and I love the episode you wrote. And he was the nicest fucking guy in the world to a backhanded compliment that I delivered to him as a door guy. Yeah. And then literally three months later, they were doing their show in Hollywood, in L.A., and he was staying at the same hotel. Him and Andy Richter were staying at the same hotel I was staying at while I was in. I was uh, doing a deal. We were at the Universal Sheridan. And uh, he said the funniest, 
these I guess they were trying to talk these girls into an elevator or like to go upstairs with them mm-hmm. and uh and the girls were being like a little flippant and Conan did this like real like 1930s all right then see ya goyles and <laughs> got in the elevator and they went upstairs and I I was sitting at the bar and that's the way the Sheridan used to be I don't know what it's like looks like now and I watched it happen and I went god I fucking love that guy yeah yeah he's a he's a good guy that was those you've got good mentors man yeah no I I'm lucky I I've said that And you're before. not someone that, that takes that lightly. No, I mean, that's the other thing. Is It's like if you, another good way to avoid comedy cancer is to hang out with healthy people, hang out with the healthy people. Because unlike regular cancer, comedy cancer is contagious and you will catch it. And when I see, uh, you know, I say this all the time on my podcast and it's so cheesy and I feel bad every time I say it on mine, but it's a Joel Osteen quote. You know that huge mega pastor? See, when I was religious, I loved Joel Osteen. I thought you were going to say. What? I thought you were going to say Joel McHale. Ah, it's a Joel McHale quote. I thought you were like, here's the thing about cancer. Joel McHale. And Uh, I was like, what the (laughs) fuck, Pete? That did not supposed to come out of your mouth. I wish it were a Joel McHale quote now. (laughs) But he says it's hard to soar with the eagles when you're kicking around with the pigeons. And that's just, he's really just restating something that there are other people quoting, saying things like that. But it's not something that I'm ashamed of when I moved to New York I very, very deliberately wanted to be friends, I know that sounds crazy, with the people who I admired that were in my class, as you say. So Mulaney knows this. Mulaney is one of my dearest friends. And when I moved to New York, I saw him on stage. I saw that he was respected and moving in the right direction and didn't have comedy cancer. And I didn't even know what comedy cancer was, but you know what I mean? Uh I, and I just was like, oh, I'm going to be friends with that guy. I'm going to be friends with Kroll. I'm going to be friends with Kumail. Obviously, Kumail and I were already friends. But Kumail and I met in Chicago, and we were like, oh, we're, we're going to stick together. It sounds clicky. It wasn't like that clicky, but I don't think it was clicky, but it was very deliberate. I was like, I want to hang out with the guys that are better than me. Mulaney, better than me. Uh, Kumail was better than me. I say was. Was better than me. I'm just, kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not ranking anybody. I'm just saying these guys were cats. These were the cats. And I want to sit at the table with the cats. And I'm not invited to Burr and Patrice. That's fine. I'm not supposed to be there. I'm going to hang out with my group. And, you know, the reason why I don't think it was clicky is because other people were there. But they started kind of naturally falling away. Some of them would quit. Some of them would be drawn to the dark side, whatever it was. Because I remember sitting around in Chicago and we'd been doing stand-up like a year. And I said to Kumail and this other guy was there, I go, I'm reading uh, this book about stand-up. And it's, a, it's about Letterman and Leno and, and Bill Hicks and all these guys. And I said, isn't it weird that they're going to write books about us? And we had done nothing. We were in an open mic. And I was like, isn't it weird to think they'll write stories about us? And Kumail said, yeah, and meant it. And the other guy was like, ah, and we didn't see him again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like That's it just, so interesting. just kind of found its way to filter out. So there, to Mike's point, uh, Mike Birbiglia's point in uh, Sleepwalk With Me, a great movie if you haven't seen it, he talks about the delusion, the healthy delusion, before you're very good, believing seeing that maybe someday I will be good and holding on to that because no matter what you do, unless you're Chappelle or Eddie Murphy or something, unless you're a prodigy like Mozart, everybody's got to bang out the keys and play the sharps and bad flats and all that stuff. You're going to stink for a bit, but you hold out. I remember on stage one time, I thought this was so funny. I said to the audience, I wasn't doing very well. This place called High, I think it was High Tops maybe. 
it was south side of Chicago. It was crazy. And there were two girls in the audience. I was the audience. And I was doing my bits. And I remember one of them was, uh, I, re- I remember one of the actual jokes I said. I was like, um, I saw a road sign that said, end road work. Man, people will protest anything. That was the bit. As if they were saying, and oh, God, yeah. so bad. No, but I like it. It's I, okay. You made me giggle. It's okay. But then I said, what's weird is, it was this weird kind of moment of clarity. I was like, I know the sounds that I would make, and I know what you would sound like if you were a big audience and I were a good comedian. And I, I, I'm saying this on stage. I'm like, I, I can almost taste what it feels like to kill. And I go, I know I'll be like, of course, it got nothing. Nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about. But what that was, was I spent so much time dreaming about it thinking about it, imagining it. I'm not talking about the secret here, by the way. I'm not saying I employed some mystical force and drew this to me. You can look at it that way if you'd like. I'm literally just talking about a psychological technique where I started believing it before I saw it. And there was no downside to that. I don't see a downside to that. At a certain point, though, you do keep it to yourself. That's your dad saying, don't say we're going to win the pennant this year. So we're all these shitty comedians with this little secret ember in our stomach still burning. It's just this little tiny flame inside going, I think this is heading somewhere. Then you go up and eat shit for five minutes and you get off stage and you're still like, it's okay. Just wait it out. Wait it out. Wait it out. You'll get better. I I always felt – I I had that moment that you had with Kumail, with with Dimitri, and I said, hey, man – I said one time when we were walking to the cellar, and I, th- I said, you know, if we stick with this long enough, we'll just be successful. Hmm. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I don't know, man. Look around. Like all the guys that are doing it just stuck with it. Right. It's not like they're better than us. They just stuck with it. That's interesting. And I was like, and then if you get a show, you can help me. And if I get a show, I can help you. That's how it seems to work. Right. And he was like, yeah. And then literally he exploded. And I was like, uh, did he not hear my speech? Uh... Like, <laughs> I thought, actually, I exploded before he did. I got a deal before he did. And I remember him getting a deal probably like i was in a deal at cbs he got a deal at nbc <laughs> probably two years after and uh he man he's he's an interesting guy i'd like to catch back up with him you should have him on uh yeah i would love to i don't i don't man i don't even know what he's doing <laughs> i don't know anything dimitri's doing right now you just had a new special on netflix that's all i know okay, check it out he's so talented he's so talented and he's such a great guy he was a really fun fucking guy. I look back at that as like going to his wedding. and Well, he was a guy who wanted that. Talk about we both have that in common, the divorce that sends you headlong into comedy. Oh, yeah. So when you – this is very colorful language. But when you sacrifice something on the, uh, the comedy altar, yeah. it tends to like – it tends to respond to blood. <laughs> Tends to respond to blood. That's a good statement. Isn't that isn't – yeah. I don't want to encourage people to like forfeit their lives and, and – break things off just to get better but if you want it that's a great way to go about it (laughs) it's the truth but you know it doesn't have to be a wife uh as it was with me i can't again i can't speak for dimitri but it could be um maybe you're a a blackout alcoholic and you have to like curb that a little bit rich voss so what's that rich voss what he do oh he he was a uh, i mean i'm not speaking out of school but a i think a practicing cocaine addict yeah and and was like i need to that's it i'm dumping it all i'm putting it on the altar yep um, Let it bleed, baby. Yeah, he man, he uh, he he has massive parallels with you. Have you had him on your podcast? No, I'd love to hear that. Oh wow, I'd, I'd really love to. Hear yeah, that. I'd love to have him on. 
He uh, doesn't leave a three-block radius, from what I can tell. But if he comes, to where's he? Is he in Brooklyn? I'm just kidding. I thought he was at the cellar a lot. I saw him at the cellar. Oh yeah. I, I'm sure he comes out to L.A. And Rich, if you hear this, I'd love to have him on. Who's Rich? Rich Foss. Oh, oh, Rich. Oh, oh. I thought you were talking to his manager. You oh. should. Yeah, Rich Voss. Great. Now I have to ask Isn't you. It's funny. Everybody calls him Ross Voss. Oh, yeah, Voss. Uh, he's the sweetest human being. Oh, I know. He was very sweet. Man, I, I that I'll say guy. This. Talk about enough to make. 2004 Pete's dick hard for life is the fact that these guys you know show respect show courtesy I'm not talking about they're still above me you know what I mean just because yeah. I'm yeah. doing this or that but they'll always be above they, you they, for, the, for the rest and my, me that's too that's what I say to my dad they'll always be above me I'm bigger than my dad I go I'm taller than my dad but he'll always be bigger than me yeah even though I'm way bigger than Dude, him. to the day I die if but that, Rich Foss ever says, hey, mind if I hop on stage? I go, I'm always going to be like, can I go first? <laughs> like, I always, because out of respect, I look at him and I go, I, I'll never. Like, man, Rich Foss, Norton, Coriali, Bobby it Kelly. Goes, it goes both ways. Patrice, Keith Robinson. This all is, these guys were my heroes. But this is the comedy is mafia thing that comes up a lot on my podcast where it's a intricate but not that complicated system of respect. And respect just sounds like being nice it doesn't mean you're always nice or whatever there's ball breaking there's yeah. but it's a, there's a there's a gentle understanding that the guy that's been doing it and killing it like i don't want to think of an example because it's going to sound disparaging but if somebody's been killing it and doing it for 20 years 30 years and they're just a monster and they're great and you barked for the club and now let's say this fictional person has their own blood they're taking over the daily show yeah. in this fictional scenario that person still shows respect to the maid guy. Yeah. That guy was killing it when you were in short pants. You know what I mean? So you always show respect to these guys. Like imagine just how gross it would be if this fictional person who barked then gets the daily show. Again, I'm not talking about Trevor Noah. This is baloney Pachonis right now. And then acts bigger than cooler than uh, Bobby Kelly. Or, you know, puts him down or, or flaunts it in his face. It's like, you don't do that. That's a made guy. That's a made guy. Yeah. And you'll always be, we'll always remember you just a little bit as the runner. You just carried the cash to the car. Always, always. And that's how I, it should be. That's why, you know, we're both talking about, I, I'm a, like, a, I say I'm 70 30, like 70% kind of like a girl. I think women are better. <laughs> I like women. I like communicating. I like emoting. I like, I like empathy and compassion. All these things that women tend to have more. You're the of. reason I don't say fat chick anymore. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. I didn't, I never saw that. I never saw that as a hateful, hurtful I understand. thing. And, and, and you, you and Doug pointed it out to me, and I literally did not see it. Who? The other one was Doug Benson. Oh, Doug. Do you remember that? We, no. we did a... Oh, that oh, epic Doug Loves movie. It's one of my favorite lines ever, 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 ever. And I've told this to other comics that like both of us. I would never tell it to someone that is di- di- dis- divisive of divisive of who they don't like. Someone that d- is not a Pete fan. And I'm yeah. like, I would never... Uh, that's the way I, you share a story, I believe. But my, one of my favorite lines, I said, fat chick at the UCB at Doug Loves Movies. And Doug said, Bert, you can't say that anymore. That's like saying the N-word. And I said, no, it's not. And I go... I fucked a fat chick before. And then I go, I'm still fucking a fat chick. And then you said, Bert, you can't say that. Like, you, it, that's an aggressive term. And you said, you should say something more like, I like it with a girl with a little more milkshake in her. Or oh, something. A little more ice cream in the milkshake. A little more ice cream in the milkshake. And then you said, like, say this joke. And you said, you know, the best part about dating a girl with a little more ice cream in her milkshake is when you wake up, 
you, the breakfast is that much better. And everyone laughed. And then I go, Pete, clearly you've never fucked a fat chick. You don't stick around for breakfast. My favorite. I literally, and no one laughed again. And I went, oh, come on, guys. And, but however, I walked away. And this is one of those moments where you go, you can be one of two people. You can be someone who goes, no, 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 no. Grease life sucked because I had black people in it. Or you could be like, you could be like, hey, this is the world we live in. What side of history do you want to be on? And and I went, I went to bed that night. I thought of you the next morning because I because you know you're someone I respect, De- definitely respect. Thanks, buddy. But more than just like I like what you do. I like the way you carry yourself. I like the way you think. I like that you're all over the map with with everything. And I and Doug Benson is. I don't know if he'd say the same thing ever, but a, a, a good friend of mine. Yeah, like you know, you just never. I never say that about anyone. I don't know what anyone says. I love Doug. I really do love Doug Benson. I, I fucking care about that guy mm-hmm. and uh and you two t- saying that to me that night and we went to the bar the next right after that and hung out and talked about it and oh, i remember that yeah and i was like i was like man i gotta you know i i gotta check the way i talk by the way there goes my wife the fat chick i'm fucking uh, that is the most thin woman <laughs> she looks i got a naked video of her from our honeymoon oh my She's, god it's just random but uh oh my god she looks better today than she did then Wow, oh, I'm, I'm so not surprised. I feel like there's something weird going on where everybody's uh, smarter, better looking. <laughs> like it's yeah. just like some night like, last night, Val and I got a little bit high. I, I just took a little little puff. Yeah, I only say that because I'm trying to figure out my relationship with the weed, and I think it's a little puff because I like being puff. able to talk and it's a be, little puff. Be clear the next day too. So I took a little puff, and then I like we watched episodes of Double Dare. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Oh, yeah, you watch shows from the '90s. Look in the audience. Just a gaggle of beasts. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone is like wearing the worst clothes, the worst glasses. Yeah. Their hair is messy. They don't know where to look. They're so confused. <laughs> they don't know how to applaud. They're, they're, so, they're fucking idiots. I feel like nowadays everybody knows. Just like in, I know children that behave, look better. You know what I mean? Like your daughter would behave and look better than these fucking idiots. That's fucking great. Yeah. I, I recommend that very much much um all right it's we're coming on three hours this is the one of the uh one of the best podcasts man i'm in a zone and i gotta i gotta credit it to you no i love it is, man is uh i'm is, here to plug david spade's book it is almost interesting it's a memoir it's the memoir it's the memoir i actually read some of it very good it's actually really good uh the better book though is yeah one underneath it what's that al jorgensen is this where i feel like a jerk because i don't know who al jorgensen is? uh open it up read the first very first paragraph of it uh, not the foreword, maybe, but like the first paragraph, uh, and that will. And tell me if that doesn't hook you into a book. Chapter one. Chapter one. Pro, not prologue. Uh, well, how's the prologue start off? Nine one one. What's your emergency? Uh, I don't know. What's that? I don't know. Yeah, probably not. You know you're in trouble when you try to say goodbye to your wife, and all you can do is gargle blood. That's a book I'll be reading cover to cover. Ah. I fucking. That that guy, he's a lead singer ministry. Uh-huh. So like I don't know if you remember ministry or if that outdated you, like if you that just missed you. A little but bit. But he apparently went pretty still does go pretty hard in the fucking paint. Wow. He, he was the Lemmy for te- techno music or whatever progressive music that was. But that's a great book. Uh David Spade's book. And then I don't know if you have you seen have you read this one? That's your that's your book. book. This yeah, is yeah, your yeah, book. yeah, 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 yeah. Let's read do me a favor, read Life the first the paragraph to that and see if it holds up to uh, David Spades or to to ministry. Okay. It's a weird feeling when you're trying to say goodbye to your wife, but all you can do is gargle Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> I thought- 
fucking stupid. You believe that? Read Davis Spades. Read his first paragraph. It's, it's oh, this is weird. It's a hard thing to try and say goodbye to your wife, and all you can do is gargle hair, hair gel. <laughs> That's weird. It's weird that he was gargling hair gel at the oh, time. I thought you were going to say Adam Sandler's <laughs> cum. Yeah, I, I, I was going to go with cum, but that I... That was too easy. Sandler's... No, I think Sandler's cum might have been... I bet if he were here, no laugh on hair gel, uh, laugh on Sandler's cum. I bet. Uh, he'd be someone who'd be cool to have on the podcast. No, but I have to say this... That I know. It, it, I think he want, You know, his, his... This is so weird. I see him from time to time, and he always tells me that his girlfriend is a fan, and I'm like... Well, come on the podcast. Yeah. Come, come. That's a great way to start. Let's talk about how you much should, your I think you missed him because he was doing it for uh, the book. But I don't. He's not that kind of guy. It doesn't look like well a promotion guy. Or, you know what I like to say? Sometimes you can only get those people through a promote, and that's fine. Yeah. But then I always want to be like the pot. Like that's old thinking, and I'm not calling him old. I'm just saying that's the way we used to think. And now I think you and I know that the podcast more even than a book, more intimate than a book, uh, is the thing. It's, it's not, I don't want your listeners to uh, necessarily see me on the road, buy a book, watch a show, listen to my podcast. All that stuff would be fine. Why do I have the hiccups when I'm trying to close it out? But the idea that the conversation is the art in itself. So we're making a table. I have this letter that I send to people and I'm like, please don't think of it as a promotion tool. I'm inviting you to my workshop to make a table with me. And then that table will exist forever yeah. online and million. Eventually maybe millions of people will listen to it. I'm talking about we're long dead. That table will still exist. So let's not have you on. Let's not turn this into a talk show where I, where you come on and tell me about your current project and what it was like working with the director. Let's take just like Crumb did and like Harvey Picard did and all these guys that made comic books just about ordinary life. Let's have a conversation on a random Saturday afternoon in your man cave that you got designed by some TV show and me peeing in your house twice and let, let's let that be the thing and stop trying so hard and let art or a product flow out of a thing. And then that's, that's the end result. The table we made uh, a couple years ago yeah, is... Uh, I always think of you going, we're dancing. Oh, dude, it was the... F- it was one if you want to hear Bird and I being silly, because this was the other way. Yeah, this is, this, is, um, <clears throat> this is equally as good. However, that was us being silly. And it, man, it is... It is a, oh, it's, it's great. Well, as I get more comments on that. I get as many comments on that as I do uh, <coughs> Rogan. Yeah. Like people going, dude, I love the machine story. I get just as many comments. Dude, you singing Kesha with Pete Holmes is yeah. my favorite thing ever. Yeah. And I, and I had just discovered Kesha <coughs> and I was really obsessed with her. That was a great podcast. <coughs> uh, yeah. So it, to people listening now, it still exists. Yeah. It will always exist, barring some sort of meltdown. Uh, and if you want to hear Bert and I just really meeting each other and being silly for a hard two and a half hours, just doing bits and laughing yeah. until we cried. Fake laughing. Bonding and fake laughing. Fake laughing until we laugh. Yeah. Listen um, to, it's called You Made It Weird. There you, you go. And then after I talk about don't promote things, I promote my podcast. But who cares? Um, I wish I had like a bit, like one of the, I was thinking about this. I was like, I bet Pete would give good eulogies. Like I was like, I wonder if Pete could give a eulogy about himself. And then I was like... Uh, you're pushing it. Um, <laughs> I do think about my eulogy, and I'm like, who could do it? Can I tell you? That's what I've, I've been wanting to do as a closing bit, do my eulogy. 
Oh wow! Like go like all right, guys. I'm gonna close this out. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna. I'm sure I'll die young, um, Kesha. And uh, uh. and and this is. I would like to deliver my eulogy. And if anyone would like to read it at my funeral, you're more than welcome to. And then deliver my eulogy mm. and like do my eulogy as a closing bit. It's a little fucking headier than I. That's no, pretty funny. Um, it's funny if it's funny. If it's not funny, right. it's sad. Right. Um, yeah, he just talked about his kids. Now he's talking about his eulogy. What? Uh, the la- The last thing I'm going to ask you. Were these on? What? The GoPro? Yeah. That GoPro's been on. But it's just a fucking wide shot of us. It's not that good. Benson's Pe- people call sucks. these. Uh, people make fun of these shoes I'm wearing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't? Uh, not at all. I don't uh, endorse this joke, but people call them my lesbian shoes. Oh. I don't endorse that joke, and I love the lesbian community. Hey. <laughs> I'm, I'm a hardcore lesbian fan. <laughs> What uh, in your sitcom or your your uh, your TV show? Yeah, are you going to have characters that represent Patrice and Bill and Natel and guys above you, or is it just the group you started with? No, I mean it. It'll be mostly people. I think mostly people playing themselves. Occasionally, we might. Again, this is all none of it set in stone. Yeah, but we might toy with. Uh, Say it was you playing a regressed version of yourself, if that serves the story, yeah. or maybe a more advanced version of yourself, if that if that, if that serves the story. Because take Kumail. Let's say Kumail were a guest on the show, somebody whose house I was crashing at, which I think it would be. We might dial the clock back a little bit uh, so he's not my famous friend Kumail, or we'd keep it current and be like, it is my famous friend Kumail. So we still kind of have to figure out yeah. that. but. Big J played himself in the pilot. That's what, yeah, everyone was playing themselves. Gaffigan, right? Uh, Artie Lang, um, Dan Natterman, Dan Ra- Natterman, Rachel Feinstein, Keith Robinson. All these people were playing themselves. Um, and that's how I see it. We were uh, The initial conceit for the show was that it took place in 2007 because um, I thought that was really funny. The idea that we would just barely be in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like that 70s show. It's not a period piece, but it's like, why is it too that's so weird? But uh Judd- had to hit a uh <clears throat> like just that 70s show. I don't know if you ever read the Judd and Mark Brazil emails. Oh, I know those. Yeah, I know. Oh, those. That was those were so good. Yeah, it's a really funny Betty does. Those were so fucking good. I agree. But uh yeah, ultimately Mostly just for jokes. You'd be shocked when you're riffing how often your references are something that's happening now or in the past couple of years. So yeah. I, that was the biggest thing that sold me on doing it currently, and I'm regressed. So I'm playing the 2007 version of Pete in 2016. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited for the show. Thanks, um, man. What's the title of it? Crashing. Crashing? Yeah. It's uh... On Couches in General. <laughs> that's not been approved. That's what I always pitch is the logline. On couches, uh, in general. It is, uh, this is officially the second longest podcast I've ever done. Doug, oh, wow. Doug Stanhope's got number one. How long was his? Five hours. We're not going for that. <laughs> no, no. It, we actually stopped, had dinner with my family, and then came back and podcasted again. Wow. Doug Stanhope's, have you had him on yet? No, I'd love to have him on. Oh, he's, he's fucking amazing, man. He I really is it. amazing. Um, your podcast is let's make, let, uh, you, uh, made, you it made it weird. I was about to say, let's get weird, but, uh, you made it you'll weird. You'll still find it. it if is, you type uh, the weird, weird and podcast, you'll find it. Uh, and you're someone that you could fucking literally surf online and watch a hundred hours of shit you've done. 
Yeah, if you go to youtube.com slash Pete Holmes, you can, if you just want to be entertained. You yeah, can watch a hundred hours of Pete Holmes, and it's <laughs> and it is all great. And and I'm being dead serious. Uh it is if you wanna get if if you're if you're having a hard time in life, and that, and this is the way, wrong way to pitch your 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 podcast after I just said we got we got fun and it's called you made yeah. it weird. But if you, if you, if you just want to fucking listen sometimes and listen to smart people talk about life and and if you enjoyed this, that's what, that's what I should say. There you go. If you enjoyed this, you will love his fucking. This podcast. is what the podcast is. It is like the it yeah. is what the podcast is. Yeah, and uh, and I love that you're one of the fucking forerunners in carrying the torch. We should do this as a crossover. Do you ever do that? What's that? Will you take the material? No, no, no. Where you and I release it like on the same day. Done. Would you do that? Of, of course. Would of you? Course. I don't want to. I don't know what could be bad about that. But if you There's think nothing of, bad about it, if There's you think of a reason why it would be bad, I would love to release. I have this no reason. Doug Stanhope calls it uh, a swap cast. Swap cast. Yeah, of course. I will. We will uh, do a swap cast. You'll get the file to Katie. I'll send. And it when to Katie. we end here, you have to say keep it crispy. But you you wrap it up because uh, it's your show. <laughs> or, or don't. No, right? no, 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 no. I'll definitely keep it fucking crispy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now it counts. Now it can be a crossover. I mean, it's just too good not to share. <laughs> it's it. It is the most uh, genuine conversation I've had. I've, I've been very lucky, and man, I and I say this to end this. I'll say this. I'll just compliment you one more time. Um, <laughs> That's why I want to release it on mine. I need my fans to know how great you think I am. I think you're fantastic, oh, I and love the it. fact that when your show disappeared. You didn't go into a hole, and you focused on the work, and you didn't. You, you said to everyone, "I don't have a sand pedestal. I got a fucking concrete pedestal, and I still work, and I still deserve to be working." And one day, God damn it, I'll get a fucking emotional again. One day, I get to earn it one more time. Yeah, I fucking love that uh, shit. Oh yeah. So you're uh, thanks, I'm so man. blessed to know you, man. You too, man. I love you very dearly. Thank you for having me in your house. <laughs> you keep it crazy. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by The Machine.